This is Motor Racing Network Classics, presented by MRN. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Speed Weeks 1994. As Eli said, the Bush Clash will roll here very shortly, and then the ARCA 200. Why don't we check in trackside right now with Jim Phillips? Well, I'm with the man that's going to start shotgun on the field. It's Brett Bodine, and Brett... uh most people know that the second segment of this race pays the most money and would declare you the Bush Class champion. Do you hang back, or do you go for the first segment also? Well, Jim, I'm a race car driver, and I get paid to, to race and pass cars. You know, uh, you know, I understand no, the Buffalo Bills were leading at halftime in the Super Bowl, but, uh, you know, i got to go to the front. I, well, this is a great practice session for us, and uh, I want to see... I want to see what I got to offer these guys, and uh, you know, we'll just get as far front as we can in each segment and add them up at the end. It's been beautiful down here at Daytona. Most days we've had a little weather this morning. Does this track change a lot with the weather? Not really. You know, I don't expect it to be any different in our last practice yesterday. Uh, our car was handling awful well. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's still doing the same thing, and we can get up towards the front and play with these guys. That's Brett Bodine. He's starting 13th, and he's going to go for it. And let's establish what uh, Jim and Brett were talking about. The drivers drew for their starting positions at a breakfast here in Daytona the other day. Brett drew the last spot. But after the first 10-lap segment of this 20-lap race, there will be two caution laps that won't count in the overall total. But in that period, the field will invert itself. He who is last shall become first and vice versa for that second 10-lap segment. So when Jim was saying, do you lay back and be on the pole for segment number two and forsake that first 40% portion of the purse? Well, you heard Brett's answer, and that's what they were speaking of. Right now, the Bill Davis crew, which was in a Ford last year, is wiping the rain off their Pontiac here in 1994. Let's go back down to the starting grid. Well, that's true, and uh, Bobby Labonte sitting in that car, and he was uh, fortunate enough to get here by what he did in Richmond, but he was unfortunate enough to draw next to the last starting position, but uh, ready to go today, I guess. Does it give you any kind of a satisfaction or feeling of satisfaction or anything to be in a race like this starting with these guys? Oh, sure. You know, this is, uh, first of all, this is great to have a race like this and uh, to be competing against all these guys here that's, that's won poles in the past. You know, I never have been much a qualifier, but I did, did something right last year, and I, it's just a great deal. This is a, this is a good paying race and a, a good race to be in. How many different people tell you how many different ways to run this thing? <laughs> well, I haven't had too many. Terry gave me a little advice, but, uh, you know, our little Pontiac uh, wasn't quite running as good as we wanted it to, so we're just going to have to see what happens. But uh, we'll try to get that Max Wiles Pontiac going good for the, for the 500 and uh, just see what happens today. It's good practice. Well, I'll tell you, it's good practice for anybody, I guess, and it's uh, an awful good spot to be for a young man like that. Most of the drivers really look forward to the clash that are able to get in it for a lot of reasons. And one of the big advantages, of course, is you have 20 laps in competition to kind of sort your car out, even though some of the drivers will use a different car in the Daytona 500 than they will here. Last year was not a good one for Bill Elliott, and they hope to turn things around and get started here in the Bush Clash today. He's had an upbeat tempo all week long, along with all that race team. Let's see if we can get his thoughts right now. Bill leaning against the car. Bill, the 1987 winner of this event. Your thoughts on being able to repeat again in 94? Well, I'd love to do it. I, you know, I don't know any other place and where I'd rather be would be in victory lane, but we'll just wait and see. You know, to run 10 laps and turn around and run 10 more, it makes it kind of a tough situation, you know, because if, if you have a pretty good run the first one and you get started in the back, but sometimes it's not a disadvantage to be in the back. But, you know, you got some good cars up front. You got, you got some real good cars on that inside row, and let's be wait and see. With the inverted situation, is that something you can plan how you run the first segment, or do you just see how things have dealt out? I think you just see how things are dealt out. You know, if you can get you a pretty good run at the guys and get yourself in a good position, then kind of just go from there. But 
I mean, I can never say what I'm going to do to you get out there and see how things unfold in front of you. The Budweiser Ford starts 11th this afternoon. On pit road right now, the few cars that are still being covered by their canvas tarpaulins are now being uncovered. And in the case of Ken Schrader, that shows off a brand new paint job for the Kodiak uh, Chevrolet. We'll hear from Kenny a bit later on. Rusty Wallace, though, feels this might be one of the most important races of the week for him because he's got that new Ford. He's got to try and find something out about the setup of this car getting set for the week yet to come. Let's get the update from Rusty Wallace. Well, Rusty sitting here helping pull off the cover on the uh, Ford Thunderbird. Rusty, the obvious question, how is the transition coming along? It's going good right now. Let's see how the thing runs in a clash, but it's been really good in practice. It seems like it drafts real well. I'm real happy with everything, but the guys in the shop, man, those are the heroes because they've been working those late hours and getting these things put together. But there's not a car in the shop, or not, not, not a car down here at Daytona looks any better than this Miller Jr. F Ford, I can tell you that. Does it draft better with another brand of car any differently than, say, the Pontiac did? No, it just drafts, period. It drafts good. It sucks up with about any car out there, and that's a tough, that's a problem I was having with the other car. The Miller Genuine Draft Ford rolls off this afternoon. Rusty Wallace aboard. He'll go eight. Jeff Gordon has the familiar colors of the DuPont car back and ready to go here in 1994 after a rookie of the year season a year ago. And boy, did he burst onto the scene with headlines here at Daytona last year, winning one of his Gatorade twin 125s. Let's go back to Pit Road and hear the thoughts of Jeff Gordon. Well, Jeff, standing here just uh, as well as you can be, I guess, getting ready to do something here that's got to be a dream for a man this young. But uh, you're in the Bush class. Uh, do you think in your wildest dreams five, six years ago that you'd be doing something like this? Oh, never, never. I mean, this is a great honor for me just to be in this thing, uh, you know, no matter what the outcome is. Uh, it's just a, a real privilege. I mean, you look at the drivers that are in this thing, and, and they're the top ones. And, you know, five or six years ago, I would never even dream that I'd be racing Winston Cup, let alone uh, get a pole and, and make it in the Bush Clash. How many people have told you how to run this, and how many have you listened to? Well, I, I don't think anybody gives any secrets away if there are any to give, but uh, I was trying to get something out of Mark over here. He he, he said, I don't know, you, you got to go on your own. But, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a neat experience. I, I'm looking forward to it, and it is, you know, it's the first time. And, and the, I guess the only thing you do is just go out there and experience it and, and learn from that. And, you know, it's a race unlike any other one we're going to be doing the rest of the week while we're here. And I guess it to me it's kind of like the IROC race. But, uh, you know, it just, it's, I don't know how evenly matched all these cars our yesterday practice went well for us we got a pretty decent starting spot and uh, just go for it that's all you got to do well it's a good payday for these guys whether they're old or young and they all need to try to figure out how to get it done kyle petty had the best line on the bush clash yesterday when he said you know i said kind of give me a description of how you view the bush clash he said take 13 hungry german shepherds throw one pork chop in there and you've got it and that's just about what this is going to be we'll take a break and we'll be right back warning this product contains nicotine nicotine is an addictive chemical underage sale prohibited Introducing Zone Nicotine Pouches, the perfect balance of unparalleled comfort, longer-lasting flavor, and nicotine that satisfies. Whether you're zoning in during the race or zoning out after a tough day at work, Zone gets you there faster and keeps you there longer. Available in seven flavors and in six and nine milligram strengths. Find Zone at zonepouches.com and retailers near you. Own your Zone with Zone Nicotine Pouches. This NASCAR season, Toyota Racing isn't looking for just anyone to join the team. No, we're looking for bankers, the ones who are open on Sundays. So if you live for the gravity-defying 31-degree banks like this one on turn four at Daytona, then we want you. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. 
Good afternoon once again from the Daytona International Speedway. Well, as we said a moment ago, the cars fired on pit road. They sit there a couple of minutes, and now they've just begun to pull onto the racetrack as they swing down towards turn one and two, which lie to the west end of the speedway, and three and four up at the east end of the speedway. This track dries very rapidly here this morning. We have a little breeze blowing, and uh, earlier this week, some of the drivers were saying when that wind was blowing off turn number two and down the back straightaway, it was really creating a problem, but I don't think we're going to have that, not that much wind today. Back straightaway headwinds yesterday did uh, affect the speeds to some degree during bush pole position qualifying, but otherwise it has been uh, a good series of preparation for these cars getting set for the bush class. As we mentioned, Ken Schrader is on the pole. It's only appropriate, I guess, because he led everybody in the number of bush poles that were won last year. He had six of those, but that doesn't have any effect on his starting spot. He just happened to pull the lucky number out of the uh, out of the drawing here earlier in the week. But as we asked the question of Brett Bodine earlier, what do you do? Do you, do you lay back and hold your position to be on the pole for the second segment of this 210-lap event? Uh, I asked that of Ken Schrader. I said, you know, what's the theory here? If you go out from the pole position and take home 40% of the purse, you might be leaving 60% of the purse on the table when you have to start shotgun on the field in the second segment. Uh, what do you do? What do you say? If I can get 40% of it, I'm sure not going to throw that away. I'm going to try to grab that and then come back and get the rest. <laughs> Very simple answer for Ken Schrader, and one would have expected him to say absolutely nothing else. As we mentioned, there are a number of new looks to these cars. The Exide Batteries car for Jeff Bodine, a black car with some pink and blue and white. Of course, Jeff, as we said, has run in 11 of the 12 clashes. One win coming in his 10th overall clash. There's also a new look to the Kodiak Chevrolet, Barney. We were talking about it earlier as the field gets the two-to-go signal now. It's still basically white and green, but it's a very dark green, rimmed by an almost neon type of green, with the least little bit of white outline around the numbers. A lot of teams have changed their look. The Quaker State car has a different look on number 26 for Brett Bodine, so 1994 has brought about new sponsors, drivers in different cars, and a whole heck of a lot of new paint jobs. Well, as usual, it'll take us uh, three or four days to get used to all the driver changes and the new colors on these cars. They're back in turn number one, getting ready to go with the field giving the the indication two laps, and they'll turn them green. Let's take a swing around the racetrack right now and familiarize you with the voices you'll be hearing this afternoon to cover the action in the Bush Clash as well as the ARCA 200 a little bit later. Down in turn number one, Joe Moore. Thank you, Barney. Good afternoon, everyone. I've got a spectacular view of turns one and two from my position on a platform some 40 feet in the air here at the exit of turn two on the inside of the racetrack. I watch the cars as they climb the 33-degree banking of turn number one and sail through turn two and hit this long back straightaway. The real job here for the drivers is to try to aim the car right, get it set appropriately coming into the turn. Now, you could actually put four cars side by side on the racetrack. It's that wide coming through this end of the racetrack. But when you're running 190-plus miles per hour, certainly no room for that. It looks like you're going into a tube. What also the drivers are working on here is trying to choose a drafting partner to make the move coming off turn two and make that move down this long back straightaway at Daytona. Some of the most breathtaking moves in racing are made going into turn number three. If you commit yourself to get three wide going in there, a lot has to give sometimes. Alan Bestwick of Daytona Beach, Florida is there. And positioned on a platform also about 40 feet on the air at the end of the back straightaway on the inside of the racetrack, Barney, right at the critical point of the racetrack. If you pull out and try and make a drafting pass by someone in the back straightaway, when you come to the end of that stretch, you look at the banking of turn number three, and just as Joe Moore described at the other end of the racetrack, it almost looks like you're going into a tube. It's not as wide as it might appear to be, so you need to figure out if that's a 14-foot hole you're trying to put a 15-foot car into as you try and slide to the right up into the line of traffic and see if you're going to be able to get into line or if you're going to be forced out of line and back 
back into traffic and lose more positions. Critical decisions made at this point. Do you stay on the gas or do you get out of it and give way? The field will get the one-to-go signal now from Doyle Ford atop the flag stand. The field comes through turns three and four and heads to the trioval area. They'll be in sight of a person who is probably now the second most notable citizen of Portland, Oregon, though he can't do a triple axel, Fred Armstrong. Thanks, Eli. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm on a platform, too, just on the outside of the exit of turn number four. There's going to be a spirited place here today. This is where the drivers, after lap number 10 and after lap number 20, are going to make their moves. Coming into turn number three, they'll choose up their drafting partners. The Fords may signal the Fords to go to the inside or to the outside. The Chevys may do the same. They'll scramble around for position and feel out the racetrack, decide on whether they're going to run at the top or the bottom of the banking. But when that final lap, lap number 10 for the first segment, lap number 20 for the segment rolls around, that's when all bets are off. Off the exit of turn number four, that's where that tube funnels back out. You have plenty of racing room, wide track. You can go three, sometimes four wide down that short straightaway and back to the start-finish line. We're going to see some spirited battles here today on the exit of turn four. Now, these guys have had a couple of just special practice sessions earlier in the week just for the Bush Clash cars. So they've been out there. They've drafted together. They pretty well know what to expect out of the machines. And it's going to be a typical deal. We'll see some kind of breathtaking racing. Nobody's, nobody gives anything in this thing. I, I, nobody works with anybody. They may say they do, but it's a, it truly is every man for himself. As full as the grandstands are, you look across towards the infield here at Daytona International Speedway in the ARCA garage area, the Winston Cup garage area. There seems to be a sea of people standing atop the 18-wheel transporters. Everybody trying to get the best bird's eye view they can of this Bush Clash of 1994. It has been a series that in the last uh, 11 years has been dominated by Chevrolet. Chevys have won nine of the last 11 Bush Clashes, the exceptions being Jeff Bodine in 1992, Bill Elliott in 1987. Once the Daytona 500 rolls around one week from today, the field will be paced by a spanking new 25th anniversary Pontiac Firebird Trans Am. It's a bright white car, which we'll tell you more about as our week continues, but here today, it is the familiar fire engine red Pontiac that has been pacing the field for some 27 years of racing here at the World Center of Racing, and we're set to go. No change. The man behind the wheel of the pace car, again, Elmo Langley, atop the flag stand, Doyle Ford, at the microphone, Barney Hall. Down to the line, getting ready to go. On the break, Kenny Schrader really gets a jump, and Earnhardt just tucks in right behind him as the two will try to draft away from P.J. Jones. Now, remember, P.J. has not that much experience on any super speedway, but he's up there in some fast company as they head to turn one. Early on, it appears that draft is working down on the inside, led by Schrader down on the bottom line of the track, coming into turn one. Earnhardt right on his tail. Mark Martin next in line. Now Jeff Gordon tries to pull up behind Mac. Mark Martin, while on the outside, PJ and Jeff Bodine try to hook up. Now Martin tries to hold off a challenge from Gordon down on the inside. Here's Ernie Irvin diving down. He's underneath Gordon down the back straightaway. Martin drops all the way to the safety apron to put the block on Irvin. They're racing side by side for third. Three cars, two by two by two, but up front, two cars dive down to the inside of the racetrack. It's Ken Schrader and Dale Earnhardt. The two Chevrolets hug the low line. They'll open it up by five car lengths off the corner. They'll straighten out off the turn heading through the trioval area. Ernie Irvin tried to work the inside, but found the route blocked further back. It's Harry Gant leading a battle to the inside of Jeff Gordon to pick up spots. But lap number one goes to Ken Schrader. The new green and white colors taking him to the front. First side-by-side battle for the fourth position. Ernie Irvin down on the inside of P.J. Jones. Again, Jones struggling to stay in the draft. Now he'll lose help from Jeff Bodine as Bodine dives to the inside of Jones. He'll fall in behind Ernie Irvin. Jeff Bodine now moves up to the fifth spot. P.J. Jones dropping back to sixth. Kyle Petty pops out of line. His Pontiac charging down to the inside, trying to grab that spot away from P.J. Jones. 
at the end of the backstretch. Meanwhile, the two Fords catch the two Chevys. Here's Mark Martin looking up to the top of the banking. Ernie Irvin looks like he might go with him. Now looks to the inside. It's Chevy, Chevy, Ford, Ford off the fourth turn. Two Chevrolets pull him out of turn number four. Two Fords trying to get up there and hang on to that lead draft. It looked like in the early going there that both Schrader and Earnhardt might break away. Not the case now as five cars are nose to tail and the battle is for fourth place as they work back to turn one. Now the battle's for the lead. Earnhardt dives underneath Ken Schrader. He'll take Mark Martin along. Earnhardt now the leader. Martin takes second from Ken Schrader. Ernie Irvin now looks to the inside of Schrader. He can't make the move. He'll fall back in single file. Irvin now in fourth. Jeff Bodine slides in line fifth. Then Kyle Petty in sixth. Now Petty on the charge. Drafting help from Jeff Gordon. They dive to the inside of Jeff Bodine. Petty will grab fifth. Gordon and Bodine race for sixth. Jeff Gordon to the inside. Bodine to the high side. Gordon gets the edge. He'll put his Chevrolet right down to the inside of the racetrack. That's going to put Bodine back one position. The top six cars single file. Meanwhile, Brett Bodine says, hey, brother, can you spare a draft? He works to the inside of Jeff Bodine. Brett, who started shotgun on the field, told us he was going to go to the front. He'll hook in right behind Jeff Bodine now and try and chase down the front six cars. We've worked four laps complete of this first ten-lap segment of the clash. First side-by-side battle back near the rear of the field. Bill Elliott down to the inside of P.J. Jones. They'll race that way momentarily, but now Elliott gets a nose out in front. But in the front of the pack, it's Earnhardt leading Martin, Ken Schrader, and Ernie Irvin. Those four cars tucked tightly together, then about a car length of space before Kyle Petty, then another car length before Jeff Gordon, another three or so back to Jeff and Brett Bodine. Kyle Petty and Jeff Gordon try to tang on in that top four car draft, but Petty unable to do it. Now he looks down to the inside of the racetrack, maybe gains a car length in the corner, but still the top four tightly tied together. And it's very typical here at Daytona, you cannot afford to lose that lead draft. If you do, you're going to get left in the dust, and that's exactly what's happened to the tail end of the field. Bill Elliott has fallen way back right now. P.J. Jones is back there, along with Bobby Labonte. The other ten cars are still in the effective part of the draft over in turn two. Four-car breakaway up front, though, including Dale Earnhardt, Mark Martin, Ken Schrader, and Ernie Irvin. Irvin peeked to the outside for a moment on Schrader, now decides better of it. He falls back in line in single file. The second four beginning to close up a little bit now. At the back of that second four, Brett Bodine drops down to the inside, trying to find his way around his brother Jeff. That's going to allow Jeff Gordon and Kyle Petty to get away. They'll tuck together. Now the two uh, Bodines go side by side. The Jeff Bodine car up to the high side of the banking. The Brett Bodine car to the inside. Brett Bodine's green Ford gets the edge off the fourth turn. Also on the move, Ernie Irvin, as he was in practice throughout the week. He makes the inside move on Ken Schrader between turns three and four. And exiting the corner, Irvin grabs the third spot. So he's in third, right behind Mark Martin and the race leader, Dale Earnhardt. Single file, the full 13-car field back to one. Mark Martin checking out the inside line on Earnhardt. Last couple of laps looking for a chance to make the move. For now, he's content to stay right there behind him. Ernie Irvin also waiting for a lane to open up. And now Schrader beginning to lose sight of the front three. Schrader trying to hang on, hoping that some cars in front of them will get side-by-side racing and allow he, Kyle, Petty, and Jeff Gordon to close up. But for now, about three car lengths, the distance between third and fourth. It'll stay that way as they climb the 31-degree banking of turn number three. Here's Ernie Irvin looking right down to the bottom of the racetrack. Nothing doing there. He'll stay back in the third spot. Dale Earnhardt leads away back to the strike. Earnhardt off the corner. has a couple of Fords on his tail that are trying to get a tight draft going and maybe make a run on him. But so far, nobody has pulled out and presented a serious challenge to Dale Earnhardt. Meanwhile, those three cars we talked about are now going to be joined by a fourth car at the tail end of the field, Rusty Wallace. Not up in that lead draft anymore. They shook him out, coming through three and four. They're back to two. And up front, we're talking about a three-car breakaway. Make it four-car breakaway. Ken Schrader joining the pack. And now Kyle Petty trying to gain the help from Jeff Gordon to close in on the front four. Dale Earnhardt bobs down to the inside of the back straightaway, trying to break a little air behind him. Won't be able to do it. Mark Martin right at his tire tracks, right at his bumper. Back to three. Chevy Ford Ford Chevy. Dowell down to the inside of the racetrack. Nobody giving way. Still the draft not 
not there for Kyle Petty. He sits about three car lengths behind Ken Schrader in fifth position. $25,000 up for grabs in the first segment of the Bush Clash. The second segment, forty-five grand. If you go at wire to wire, $70,000 is yours. It's Earnhardt ahead of Martin, then Ernie Irvin, Ken Schrader, Kyle Petty. That's your top five as they head back to one, running in the sixth spot. Jeff Gordon with Brett Bodine now in seventh. In the eighth position now is Jeff Bodine. Ninth is Harry Gant. Then it's about quarter of a mile looks like back to the 10th spot that's where Rusty Wallace rides along with Bill Elliott closing on, on him in the 11th spot 12th is P.J. Jones and 13th now Bobby Labonte. Run six cars again diving down to the inside and back up to the outside of the back straightaway now here's Ernie Irvin with a challenge for second. Irvin sticks it right down on the apron. Irvin's car all the way down the left side of the racetrack that's going to put Mark Martin hung out to dry on the outside here's Schrader for third. Trying to make that move coming out of turn number four. Schrader at the bottom of the speedway. He is door to door as they come down to the line and Kyle Pe- Petty breaks out of the draft, makes it three wide to start finish line, and that will be the battle for third place. That's where it's all going on. In fact, four cars are locked up in that scramble in turn one. Kyle gets some drafting help from Jeff Gordon. He pulls to the inside as well. They'll both blow by Mark Martin. Martin now trying to get some help from Ken Schrader. Schrader, though, dives down low, but even lower on the track comes Brett Bodine. It's three wide off turn two. Brett Bodine down to the inside. Schrader in the middle, up on the outside. Mark Martin racing now for the fifth position. Brett Bodine's going to get that spot. He's going to try and get in line behind fourth place. Jeff Gordon. Meanwhile, the front three are getting away. Now he'll try to dust off Gordon on the entrance of the cur- curve. Here's Brett Bodine down to the inside of the racetrack, but Jeff Gordon does not give way. Here's Gordon on the high side, battling side-by-side side for fourth. He'll challenge to the outside of the racetrack. The long way around, it may pay off, but here at the stripe, they'll be working towards halfway next time by Dale Earnhardt ahead of Ernie Irvin. Can Ernie make the pass going through the corner like he was last time? They'll get the halfway indication next time by. They go single file back into turn number one, but still the battle rages on for fourth. It's Brett Bodine on the inside of Jeff Gordon, and Gordon hanging tough in the outside lane. Once again, he pulls even with the Quaker State Ford. Side by side, the battle for fourth. At the head of the pack, Irvin has made two moves to pass at the entrance to turn three. Now they come down the stretch. Dale Earnhardt with a half-car length lead. Here's Irvin at the entrance to three, not able to get up alongside. The Chevy Ford duel now rumbles into turn number three. Both cars right down to the inside. Ernie Irvin trying to find the lane opening up to the inside, but Dale Earnhardt doesn't give way. His Chevrolet leads back to the stripe. Ernie Irvin's got about a half mile down out of the start-finish line to put a move on Earnhardt. He's not going to do it. He's just going to ride in the draft and winning the first segment. Dale Earnhardt finishing second right now. Ernie Irvin, Kyle Petty comes across third and we'll set the rest of the finishing order for you in just a moment when we come back. Outdoor care to home and auto repair. Do it with Craftsman. Find the tools, equipment, and storage you need at your local Lowe's, Ace Hardware, or Craftsman.com. Kyle Larson brings his Chevy Ford from fueling NASCAR champions on the track for over 20 years to innovating 94 octane, the highest octane on the market. Performance is what Sunoco does. All Sunoco fuel at the pump meets the same top tier standards as the fuel used in NASCAR. Money's not here for Ryan Blaney. Four tires with Sunoco fuel. From the track to your tank, you can trust Sunoco to help your vehicle perform at its peak. Dale Earnhardt ahead of Ernie Irvin, Kyle Petty third, Jeff Gordon fourth, Mark Martin fifth, sixth was Ken Schrader, Brett Bodine seventh, 
Jeff Bodine, eighth. Harry Gant comes across the line in ninth. Tenth was Rusty Wallace. Bill Elliott comes across 11th ahead of P.J. Jones and Bobby Labonte, the running order in that first 10-lap segment. We didn't see Ernie Irvin take the shot at Earnhardt there going into turn three as he had passed a couple three other men during that first segment of the clash. Dick Brooks? Well, they're getting ready to come in now. They got the whole uh, pit crew up on the wall and such, but as I went by, I asked uh, Robert Yates, I said, well, now now what's going to happen? He said, well, anything short of putting another motor in the trunk for driving the rear wheels while the front one's driving the front wheel, we ain't going to pass that free car. So they're going to come in and do a little chassis adjustment here and, uh, and change some tires. They're in now, and they've got the, the right side done. They're going to do all four tires on the car and uh, see if they can make a better shot at it. But he feels he's getting out running the motor. Let's check in with Jim Phillips. Well, we're in the Earnhardt pit. Business as usual. Richard Childress is going across the wall, and he will make a chassis adjustment on the left side one round of wedge they're putting on four new tires and he bumps up the spoiler just a little bit on the back so Earnhardt maybe a little bit loose in that segment of course you can run faster loose than you can if the car is pushing a bit Earnhardt leaves the pit and as uh, Kenny Schrader came in he got four tires too Mark Martin in for four tires and back out on the racetrack Winston Kelly Kyle Petty's getting four tires they took a half a round of wedge out of the Pontiac Bill Elliott with four tires four tires on the Maxwell House car and they took out three rounds of wedge so they're loosening up Bobby Labonte's car quite a bit on the Brett Bodine car just four tires and let's remind everybody too that there's no premium in getting out of pit road first here your starting position for the second portion of the clash is set by virtue of how you finish the first 10 lap segment Uh, as a matter of fact there are some cars that'll maybe even sit on pit road for a whole lap here while the field continues around under caution these caution laps do not count so there's absolutely no premium in speed during the clash here as far as on pit road activity is concerned well, we'll get that second half underway here shortly. I was just looking. You said a moment ago that Earnhardt had won $343,000. Yeah. He's been in seven of these clashes, did a little pencil work there. That averages to $49,000 for every time he's run in a Bush clash. He ought to like this race. I would think so. It's been an outstanding uh, payday for him. You look back, Earnhardt winning in 1993, 1991. He won in 88, 1986. Dale Earnhardt won in 1980. He really has had an outstanding run in this Bush clash. Of course, should this not be his day or whomever's, we'll find out what the media thinks because the uh, members of the media in attendance for today's ARCA 200 and Bush class will be voting the goodies headache award one thousand dollars from the folks at goodies glad to have all of their participation again here in 1994 so a sample of goodies headache powders and tablets and a thousand dollars going to the winner of the goodies headache award and right now barney looks like uh, for the moment we might all win the goodies headache award it started raining here all of a sudden yeah the ceiling came down in a hurry and it's just a mist it's not real heavy rain or doesn't appear to be uh, from here in the tower why don't we check uh, with our turn positions right now and see just how hard the rain is coming down over in turn one joe moore just picked up pretty heavy barney came in uh, kind of lightly to begin with some cool breeze blowing across this end of the racetrack and now it's beginning to pepper down pretty heavily and the indication from NASCAR is that they are going to uh, display the red flag here next time by. Uh, it has been hit and miss today. That's what the weatherman predicted. Uh, there were the chance of uh, sporadic showers throughout central Florida. And boy, it's so unfortunate because the weather has been so magnificent here over the uh, first week or so of speed weeks. That, uh, here you have the first uh, big event, race event, and we get a rain shower as we did earlier today. But uh, they will be showing the red flag to the field here in just a moment or so. Again, Dale Earnhardt is the leader. Second is Ernie Irvin. Third, Kyle Petty, Jeff Gordon is fourth, fifth is Mark Martin, Ken Schrader came across the stripe in sixth, Brett Bodine was seventh, 
Jeff Bodine, eighth. Ninth went to Harry Gant, Rusty Wallace, tenth. Then Bill Elliott, P.J. Jones, and Bobby Labonte. Very interesting story for P.J. Jones. Uh, everybody kind of expected he would be the full-time driver for the Melling car in 1994. But it's turned out now that uh, he will be here strictly for this race. Uh, whether you want to call it a, a lack of communication or some unknowingness about his exact situation and how the team would be taking shape for the season. Uh, however, as best determined, the bottom line is that Joe Rutman qualified the car yesterday for the Daytona 500, and he will be the driver of, of record after today's Bush Clash. That's been the uh, word that's been going around the garage area. The way this business became uh, about halfway through the season last year with guys moving out of their cars before the season was even over, and as we talk about silly season, nothing surprises me in this business anymore. No, it, it was not nearly this type back in the early days. You've been with this network uh, 30 some odd years. Uh, I've been with the network 18, almost 19 years, and even when I started, it was far more concrete. When you had uh, when you had uh, a contract and an agreement, you stayed with it. Uh, when you predated MRN to the old Speedway network and other uh, networks that you worked with, it was uh, you could pretty well count on things staying as they were. I think back uh, even through the early 70s, it was unusual for more than one or two drivers to change at the end of the season. And it seemed like uh, in, the, in the late 70s, about 78 and 79. And in fact, about the time that Pearson and the Wood Brothers split up, it mm-hmm. seemed to then it'd be four or five guys changing, then a lot of crew members started changing. So personnel anymore, you really never know. And it starts earlier and earlier. Even last year, there were guys talking about moving before we even left Daytona in February. So it's become a strange business in that respect. Morning. Yes. Uh, we're standing here now with Robert Yates. He's got his got his car in the in the garage here, or in the pits anyway, and they're covering it up. Robert, you got an awful aggressive race driver, and he didn't make a move there at the end. Tell us why. Well, he said he didn't uh, have anything to work with. He needs somebody to either push him or more motors. So we'll work on the motors some more. Everybody, I'll get behind us next time. Just about everybody did some chassis adjustment. Uh, even a three car did a lot of adjustments. Seemed like maybe the cars are a little bit tight. Uh, I've seen you guys take a little wedge out yourself. Uh, uh, then it was a little bit tight. Is this weather going to make any difference? Well, I, I don't think the weather's going to make it much difference. Uh, for 10 laps, new set of tires, it should perform just about like it did this past 10 laps. And uh, we just need to, you know, maybe get in the right situation. That's the way racing is down here. Uh, it's not necessarily that you have a buddy, but somebody decides that they're better off going with you. So maybe we'll have that situation next time. Well, that's the, that's the word from the man who knows and one of the best engine builders and uh, ever been in the business, and uh, he's having trouble keeping up with his motor. So they, <laughs> I think Ford expected to really be strong this year in the motor department, and they probably will be, but it uh, looks like there's one Chevrolet out there that's got them bumped off right now. Dick, we're with Dale Earnhardt. Dale, you look pretty strong in that first segment. Well, that, that was the first. He, you know, this second, he'd get a little tougher. Everybody to tune on the car a little bit, and that'll make a big difference, I think. Uh, our car was a tick loose. We're still running a little faster than we'd run in practice, so... That'll make a difference, and, you know, uh, Ernie, I think, is going to be strong in the second half. Uh, Kyle looks strong come up there. It takes a while to get up there, I think, with everybody running as uh, close to each other as they are. So it's going to be interesting to see if Ernie and uh, I can hook up, maybe Kyle and come back up there and race for this second half. Hopefully it'll clear off here and get dry for us. You did make just a little bit of a chassis adjustment. Yeah, uh, just to tick loose off and uh, turn a wedge and uh, fine-tune on air pressure, and I think we'll be in good shape. Dale Earnhardt. Goes after his sixth Bush Clash. 
I'm sure that must make everybody else awfully thrilled. As strong as Dale Earnhardt ran there in segment number one, he said, well, maybe we can get a little bit stronger here as uh, they make a few adjustments. If you're just tuning in, we are halfway through the Bush Clash. We've got the ARCA 200 coming your way shortly. We're just now going through track drying after a very brief rain shower, which uh, seems to have pretty well stopped as quickly as it began, having uh, blown across the speedway here. While we have a moment, uh, it's a chance for us to spend a moment with uh, Bill France Jr., the president of NASCAR, who uh, we don't often get a chance to speak with on the broadcast, but some very special happenings, uh, particularly close to you and the family last week when out here in front of the Speedway near the Visitor Center, they unveiled a, a beautiful statue that uh, honors, uh, well, the work that your dad and your mom did in, in building NASCAR to what it is today. It's, it's quite a piece of work, and I know you're awfully proud. Yes, we are, Eli. Uh, you know, you're kind of reminded every time we go by there that uh, what they started is what is why we're all here. Mm -hmm. So uh, it... it uh, and it's a very beautiful work of art that uh, John Liber did out of uh, Omaha, Nebraska. I, I don't know the technical terms for all the work that he did, but uh, the likenesses are, are to some point almost eerie. I mean, it is such a good piece of work. I mean, just the way your, your dad's statue, the way he's standing there and, and has that look in his eye like, like he's just standing there ready to say something. Well, we're very pleased. And, uh, you know, there were, there were a lot of people that worked on this and a lot of contributors to, for the project. And uh, it's, it's just a great uh, finale, really. That was a nice touch, too. It was a community-wide effort. Uh, you had a, a fine uh, fellow from Bethune-Cookman College singing at the unveiling the other day, and, and the folks who raised the money from, uh, from a wide area of, of Central Florida and the motorsports world, it was, it was quite a tribute. Yes, it was. And, uh, you know, we're, our job now is to try and make everything bigger and better and uh, take what they started and uh, help grow it. Bill, I was about to say, not a lot of people except maybe the insiders in this business you think of NASCAR in the last 20 years, what a great success it has been. In the early days, I remember your dad when we ran at Hillsboro, North Carolina, and some of the older tracks back then. He never gave up on the dream he had, did he? I mean, you, you really don't, unless you were around in those days. The folks now, even though we have millions and millions of NASCAR fans, have no idea how much effort your father put into building NASCAR. And that was a step to why it is here where it is today. Well, the great, the uh, best definition I think I've ever heard came from a fellow here in town named Dan Warren. And he made the comment that uh, he created a sport. A lot of people have moved sports on, but something to start something, and uh, I give him credit for creating it. Let's look at the uh, future of the sport. I mean, it grows by leaps and bounds, bigger crowds, uh, more seats. Even here at Daytona, the expansion continues with more seats. What do you see when you look into the crystal ball for the continued growth of the sport? Well, hopefully if we uh, can do everything right and the uh, good Lord looks after us and the government stays uh, inside the beltway up there in Washington, we can move this place right on. That's going to be the key, I guess, right there. You hit it on the head. Well, it's great to have you stop by. And, uh, again, it's, it's quite an honor. And I do suggest anybody who comes to Daytona, swing by the Visitor Center and right out in front see the, uh, the beautiful statues to Bill and Anne France because it really is a crowning touch to an outstanding motorsports facility. Great to have you with us today. Thank you. Bill France, Jr., the president of NASCAR. Weather continues to look even better right now. That ceiling has gone back up, and it appears that the rain has subsided. We don't see any here on the window. Let's make a quick check with Alan Best. We can turn three as it coming down over there as it quit. Barney, it's a couple drops here and there, but uh, it's let up some. Unfortunately, it's uh, just wet enough out here that they are going to have to spend some time drying the racetrack. Everything got uh, got a little bit slick out here, so although it's almost stopped raining, uh, there's a little work ahead. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. 
the field now on the speedway here at Daytona. That brief rain shower having now been uh, dried off the asphalt, and we're set to go racing for the final 10-lap segment. Dale Earnhardt, who won the first half of the Bush Clash and takes home $25,000, now starting shotgun on the field. So the pole will be Bobby Labonte. Starting second will be the... P.J. Jones' car, third B. Bill Elliott, fourth goes to Rusty Wallace, Harry Gant will restart in fifth, sixth will be Jeff Bodine, seventh Brett Bodine, Ken Schrader will start eighth, ninth Mark Martin, tenth Jeff Gordon, eleventh Kyle Petty, the Ernie Irvin car will go twelfth and thirteenth will be Dale Earnhardt. We'd love to welcome the 314 radio stations tuned in today. It's a new record for this event, the Bush Clash on the ARCA 200, and that list includes many new affiliates for the 1994 season. Among them, WQLS in Dothan, Alabama, WLUS in Gainesville, Florida, in Lagrange, Georgia, WEIZ FM in Americus, Georgia, WISK Radio, WJAD FM in Bainbridge. Georgia and WYAY FM 106 in Atlanta, Georgia. We welcome you aboard to our coverage of the Bush Clash and the ARCA 200. Field just out of turn number four and still the caution car pacing them, so we'll see what they indicate here at the start finish line where they'll cut them loose when they come back by in one more lap, and I'm sure that's what they're going to do as they tell them to tighten it up a little bit. As they come down, the indication will be two laps before they put them under green. If you join our broadcast late, Dale Earnhardt did win the first segment of the Clash, picked up $25,000. Ernie Irvin finished second, and that will pay him $17,500. Kyle Petty collected $12,500 for finishing in third, but the really big money is up in the second segment. All right, the second segment, $45,000. Should Dale Earnhardt make it from the back to the front, that would make a $70,000 payday for him. But, of course, all of these other drivers not about to just move aside and give him free entree to the front. Should be quite a scramble here. Then coming up later today, the 80-lap running of the ARCA 200 for the ARCA Hooters Cup Series. That's coming up here in a short while to follow the Bush Clash. Back out to Joe Moore and turns one and two as the field forms up here with about a lap and a half to go racing. We're going to be keeping a close watch on Dale Earnhardt. Remember last year he was in the very same situation, started at the tail end of the pack in the second segment and drove right down to the bottom of the track much lower than anyone thought that a car could go and passed by everybody within the first or second lap of the event. We'll be seeing if Earnhardt can make that move here as we get this thing back underway. You've got to wonder about some of the guys who are now at the front of the field like Bobby Labonte and P.J. Jones. Was that in fact a plan to finish the first segment at the end of the pack and then be up front to maybe pull the, the steam out and, uh, and do the job here in the second segment. That's all to be told here in just the next few minutes. And Alan Bestwick, you had the, probably the best view in the house as far as setting up people drafting to be able to get underneath them or get close enough to make some passing moves. There were some cars back, not necessarily all the way at the tail end of the field, but even up around 7th and 8th that were just having trouble hanging onto the draft. Yeah, there were a couple. I was surprised Rusty Wallace fell off that lead draft as quickly as he did. Bill Elliott really never had a chance to get up in it. He lost it pretty quick and never really had a chance to get in contact with it. The thing that I was most interested, though, Barney, was as the coming down for that last uh, set of turns at the end of the first segment when Ernie Irvin couldn't find a way to get around Dale Earnhardt. When Ernie had made those previous passes up in this end of the racetrack on Jeff Gordon and on Mark Martin, he had someone behind him helping push him along. When he came up on Dale Earnhardt, Kyle Petty had fallen off his back bumper. Nobody was behind him helping him push. So obviously, uh, Irvin needs a little bit of help. He's going to make that slingshot at the end of this back straightaway. I was pretty interested to note that. Of course, in front of you, Fred Armstrong, there in turn number 
four. We saw, I would say, uh, a good four or five of those first ten laps where drivers really spread out, fanned out to make it three wide going through the trioval. Yeah, and sometimes it really didn't pay off, and there was Dale Earnhardt and Ernie Irvin all hooked up at the front. They stayed close together. They stayed at the bottom of the racetrack. They didn't try any of those bold moves to swing up to the high side of the banking. Jeff Bodine getting caught uh, hung out to dry there as Brett Bodine, he thought maybe was going to go along with him. Maybe they even made the waving move, but the next thing you know, Jeff was up at the top of the banking. Brett dove down low and grabbed the position. Again, Dale Earnhardt and Ernie Irvin just uh, sticking like glue to the inside and uh, picking up the win in the second there. So that's what we'll be looking forward to here in this final 10-lap segment. Speaking of things yet to come, the NASCAR Winston Racing Series will be opening up before much longer. Some tracks will be opening up in uh, the month of March, some if not most in the month of April. But if you'd like to find out where America's best short track racers will be competing for the regional and national NASCAR Winston Racing Series honors, you can just contact NASCAR Public Relations here in Daytona Beach and they'll give you the name and address and the schedule of the Winston Racing Series track nearest to you. Just uh, jot a quick note to NASCAR Public Relations Post Office Box 2875 Daytona Beach, Florida 32120. Darn close to 100 short tracks across the country now that fly the NASCAR banner on Friday nights and Saturday nights and just uh, contact the PR office here in Daytona. They'll let you know where the track is closest to your home. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. As we said, we pointed out about a year or so ago when Dale Earnhardt started at the tail end of the field and come flying up through the pack and before they got back to the start finish. Actually, before they almost got back to turn number one, Dale Earnhardt had already grabbed the lead. I'm sure that a lot of the same guys were in the clash and that were going to be saying if we see him coming up this time, we might just uh, make that a little bit different situation as they get ready to go. Elmo Langley going to step on the button now. He'll turn the lights off atop the Pontiac and make the hard left down pit road. Doyle Ford atop the flag stand with his left hand saying hold it down. He waves the green with his right hand. We're underway. Bobby Labonte down on the pole for this one as they head the second segment of the Bush Clash. Nobody will be able to get away. Ironic that P.J. Jones started outside pole in the first segment. That's where he is right now, and they are still all door-to-door down in turn one. Pontiac and Ford side-by-side. Now making another Ford coming to the fray. Elliott dives down to the inside. He'll get a nose-up alongside P.J. Jones, but still it's Bobby Labonte leading the way. Now Harry Gant looks underneath Elliott, but Elliott's the one who makes the move. Harry Gant goes with him, now tries to drop to the bottom of Elliott. Now he'll fall back in line. Three wide, halfway down the back straightaway. Elliott inside of Labonte, inside of Jones. Labonte falls back. It'll be Elliott with the lead. Gant goes to second. Here's Mark Martin for third. Martin all the way down to the inside of the racetrack. Three wide for the third position. Mark Martin with a little drafting help. There's Ernie Irvin tucking in behind. Still a two-by-two battle for third. Harry Gant trying to work to the outside of Mark Martin. Closing in on Bill Elliott. Elliott starts to snake his way across the trioval. First to the inside. Then to the outside. Here at the start-finish line. Gant stays right with him. Now Harry looks inside, but here comes Mark Martin. Thinks about making it three wide if he can for the lead. Martin makes the challenge to the inside of Gant. He'll go by him. Now Martin alongside Bill Elliott. He'll flash by Elliott. Ernie Irvin falls in line behind. He'll also get by Elliott. Elliott quickly tries to tuck back in line. So Ernie Irvin from 12th up to 2nd in the course of just about 3 miles track time. Irvin running 2nd about a car length ahead of Elliott. Now the side-by-side races for 4th. Brett Bodine is inside of Jeff Gordon at the entrance to 3. Gordon loses the edge as he slides up the banking on the entrance to turn number 3 and here comes Dale Earnhardt down to the inside of the racetrack. The battle is for 5th with Jeff Gordon. He'll dust off Gordon and work on Brett Bodine. Earnhardt picked him off one by one. He's got his car up right now in fifth place, but behind him there was some hard racing going on through three and four. Rusty Wallace was caught up in that, so was Kyle Petty as the field strings out single file among the front nine. They're back in turn one. First side-by-side racing still back at the tail end of the pack where Rusty Wallace is trying to get by Harry Gant. He'll open the door and finally get by. Here comes Bobby Labonte also going to the inside again. Ken Schrader gets by, and P.J. Jones as well goes to work on Harry Gant. And in the fourth spot, Brett Bodine takes a quick look 
looked out of the inside. Dale Earnhardt looking to go with him again. Out of the inside of Bill Elliott, though. They won't be able to get up alongside, but Bodine is going to get hung out. Earnhardt's going to get up to his outside. Earnhardt's black Chevrolet starting to pick off that four Ford lead draft now as he slides up to the top of the banking. Brett Bodine trying to hold on to fourth to the inside of the racetrack. Brett's taking the short way around, but Earnhardt goes outside, grabs the position. Brett Bodine has to yield for the moment and may get caught out of the draft. Jeff Gordon goes by. Jeff Bodine goes by. Kyle Petty can't make that pass, but it's now single file. The entire 13-car field, seven laps to go, chasing Mark Martin. Up front, three Fords leading the way. It's Martin, then Ernie Irvin, and Bill Elliott, then the Chevrolet of Dale Earnhardt, who started shotgun on the field, about to make his move in the third-place car. He looks to the inside of Elliott. Now, though, falls back in line. Earnhardt with no drafting help. Jeff Gordon still about two car lengths away from his back bumper. Now, Ernie Irvin looks down to the inside, tries to pull up alongside Mark Martin. Martin moves down the block. Side-by-side duel with two Fords for the lead. There's Ernie Irvin. He swings around, makes it look easy, sticks it down to the bottom of the racetrack and leads the Bush Clash off turn four. Earnhardt's strong suit again at Daytona is the handle on that car, meaning it'll drive almost anywhere he wants to. As he came into the corner in four, he pinned it right to the apron of the racetrack, made it stick, and in doing so, he moved around Bill Elliott, and he'll take Jeff Gordon with him up into fourth place. They're back in one. They'll fall back in line in single file. Only Brett Bodine stepping out of line as he gets by Bill Elliott back in the fourth position. But up front, it's Earnhardt on the move, looking to the outside of Mark Martin. Martin blocks the move. Earnhardt has to dive down low in the battle for second. Dale Earnhardt draws up alongside Mark Martin. Ernie Irvin running right straight down the middle of the back straightaway, trying to split the air between the two. Earnhardt and Martin, a drag race to turn number three. Earnhardt with a nose out in front. Chevy Ford battle for third, and now Jeff Gordon drops down to the inside. Make that the battle for second as Gordon now helps out Earnhardt. He'll get a little push off the draft to Gordon as they race off four. Give Earnhardt second. Ernie Irvin has about three car lanes, now two as he works to the outside, while Earnhardt, Gordon, and Elliott work to the inside here at the stripe. It's down to a car length of a lead for Ernie Irvin. Earnhardt closes with the horsepower and with the handling. He's going for the lead in turn one. Question may be here what Jeff Gordon does. If he'll go with Earnhardt, he can slide him right on by Ernie Irvin. But they'll all stay single file going into turn one. But now off turn two, Earnhardt puts the nose of his car down to the inside. Can't make the move back in line in single file. They will run bumper to bumper down the back straightaway now. Irvin, Earnhardt, then Gordon, Brett Bodine, and Bill Elliott. Those are the top five. Mark Martin on the end of that line in six. Then a couple of car lengths back to Kyle Petty. Single file as they twist up the 31 degree banking of turn number three. The sunlight now beginning to beat off the tops of these cars as they race off turn four. It's still Ernie Irvin back to the stripe. Dale Earnhardt has put Ernie Irvin to the test two laps in a row and so far Ernie has passed. He's been able to hang on to the lead. Earnhardt rides just a half a car length back of him. Then it's Jeff Gordon as they swing back into turn number one. But the way we've seen Dale be able to dive to the bottom of the racetrack with four laps to go. Joe Moore, I think he may have the stuff to do it. We'll have to wait and see. They're back in two. Dale's tried a couple of things. Not really pushed his luck for now. He rides along in the second spot as part of that six-car breakaway. Kyle Petty dropping back a bit. He's back in the seventh spot. There comes Rusty Wallace and Ken Schrader. Ernie Irvin dives down to the inside of the back straightaway, trying to break the draft on Earnhardt. Dale thought for a minute about making a run up the outside. Now they go back in line. Elliott looking to the high side. Battle will be for fourth. Brett Bodine down to the bottom of the racetrack. Bill Elliott maybe thinks better of it. Mark Martin looked like he might go along with him, but it's back to single file. As for Rusty Wallace, he was in tenth spot in the first segment of the event. Now running back in eighth place, so he's got some work to do as this speed weeks unfolds here at Daytona. Three laps to go. Earnhardt's going to try it again. He'll look to the inside of Ernie Irvin. Irvin's forward holds off the challenge once more. Irvin puts it right down the line on the inside of the racetrack. Earnhardt's not going to be able to get by there going into turn one. Let's see how they shake it down in turn number two. Again, Earnhardt peeks to the inside, and again, no one will help him in the draft. They're back in line in single file. Now Earnhardt breaks down to the inside, halfway down the back straightaway. Irvin drops down, puts the block on. Now Earnhardt moves back up. Irvin moves back up in front of him, single file to
for three. Jeff Gordon getting a little pressure for third from Brett Bodine, but he snaps it right down to the bottom of the racetrack, shuts down the lane, and tucks right in behind Earnhardt, still single file. This thing could be settled among the front six because they have shaken everybody else pretty far back in the field as they work back to the line. Earnhardt breaks out of the draft, sticks that nose of the Chevrolet right up on the left quarter panel of Ernie Irvin. He's got him as they head into turn one. Earnhardt's got a nose out in front as Irvin tries to hold him off. He won't be able to block that inside lane. Earnhardt comes up a bit. Ernie Irvin also goes up the banking a bit. Now drafting help for Earnhardt from Jeff Gordon right up on the rear deck. And Gordon makes a move to the inside of Earnhardt. Three wide for the lead down the back straightaway. Gordon with drafting help from Brett Bodine. Earnhardt in the middle all alone. Ernie Irvin on the outside. He's got drafting help. Jeff Gordon comes away with the lead in three. Gordon leads the bush clash down into turn number three. A three wide battle for second. And Brett Bodine gets it on the end of the corner. Now it's Ernie Irvin and Dale Earnhardt for third off turn four. That was a major league move for Jeff Gordon coming out of turn number two. He left two of the most wily veterans in his wake. Got some help from Brett Bodine. White flag. One lap to go in his first ever Bush Clash. Can Jeff Gordon pull off the win? Can Brett Bodine, Brett Bodine rather, who started shotgun on the field in the first segment, come up to win it here in the second segment? They're in one. Gordon is there with a half-car link lead over Brett Bodine. It's two car links back to Earnhardt. Single file coming off turn two for the final time. On to the back straightaway. No move yet. Single file. They're halfway down the stretch. Now Brett Bodine with firm drafting help from Earnhardt. Earnhardt's on his back bumper. Now Earnhardt breaks out a line. Bodine's still not able to make a move. Ernie Irvin tucks into the back of that draft. Tries to go by himself up the banking. Now Earnhardt swings up high. Battle is for second. But Jeff Gordon flat out for 45000 Back to the stripe. Four cars have got a shot at winning the Bush Clash. Jeff Gordon is at the head of the pack. Right behind him comes Brett Bodine. Earnhardt takes a look outside. Inside. He won't be able to move up. He barely squeezes in in third place as the Jeff Gordon, who won, didn't he win a qualifying race here last sure day? Where he's no stranger to running in those drafts, pulled a great move with two laps to go to get himself in a position to win. Ray Everham and the fellas just jumping for joy down on pit road. Well, they sure are. And I know, kind of dangerous down here, but uh, we'll get to somebody here in a minute. Ray, did you expect all this kind of stuff to happen? I, I can't believe it. You know, we we came here wanting to win real bad, and for everybody at Dupont and Valvoline Henrik Motorsports, I mean this. Jeff did an outstanding job, and, and the, the, these guys, you can you can feel this energy. We just want to keep carrying it. And, I mean, I, I can't believe it. How about that, Rick? Yeah, how about that, Rick? That's uh, a lot of energy, all right. Kind of dangerous in that crowd. I'll tell you, that was a heck of a move, though, coming out of turn number two when you've got Dale Earnhardt and Ernie Irvin right there. Jeff Gordon just peels off to the inside, made the pass, and held everybody off. A major league move by a man who's coming off a rookie of the year season. What a move that Jeff Gordon made going off turn number two to get himself in a position to win the Bush Clash here this afternoon as he is heading over to Victory Lane right now. It's going to be a very happy young man as we give him a little time to get over there and get out of the car. Let's check in with Winston Kelly. With Dale Earnhardt, Dale, it was a whale of a ride. You came to the front there at the first segment, had it in the front toward the second segment. Tell us about those last couple of laps. Well, we was trying to get by Ernie there, and uh, the 25 and him was ganging up there. I didn't realize it was the last lap there. Well, you know, I, would, I reckon I would have been paying attention. But I was watching the cars so much and racing them that I just really wasn't focusing on the, the flags, and they didn't say anything on the radio about it being the last lap or two laps ago or anything. Anyway, we just got beat. Uh, the 25, uh, the 24 car and the 26 was hooked up, and they come by us, and they wasn't much to do, just try to drive back to them. And, you know, Ernie and I couldn't gain, gain anything up on them. Well, there was a, the, it was very close on the back straightaway. You got in the middle, didn't have a whole lot of help. Was there any contact or wind situation that affected your ability to get back up toward the front? 
Well, there's a lot of wind there, and uh, uh, the 26 stayed with the 24, and they won the race. That's where they beat us at. So it's a good race. Congratulate them. You know, we start off winning this race every every year and not winning 500, so maybe this is a change for us. He'll trade this one for the 500 any time. Five-time winner of the Bush Clash, Dale Earnhardt, finishes third. Let's get out of victory lane. Yeah, Jeff Gordon just crawled out of his car here, and you think there was some uh, excitement on pit row. You should have seen this. What do you think, Jeff? Oh, man, uh, you know, last year we won the 125s and de- definitely didn't expect that. And, you know, Ernie and, and Earnhardt, they're real tough. And you know, I was just trying to hang on there. And I knew that, you know, if they got side by side, that was going to be my only chance. And, and they didn't. And I saw Earnhardt get a little bit loose. You know, he was he was pretty much loose all day yesterday, too. But, you know, I, I didn't want either one of those guys to win. I wanted to be the one to win it. And I had to give Earnhardt a little bit of a nudge coming off of two. But, you know, luckily everything was safe racing. And, I mean, we got, we got donuts on our doors here. It was just a great race. Uh, I mean, I, I'm thrilled to death. I... You know, I just did not expect this at all. This is wonderful, man. I just, I love this place. This place is great to me. Got to have a whole, uh, whole new thought of, in your mind when you cross the start-finish line for the white flag. Uh, what were you thinking about all the way around it? Well, I tell you, you know, Brett came with me when I got by those two guys, and and uh, my spotter was telling me that that we broke loose a little bit. So I knew that pretty much I was going to have to fight off Brett, but then I saw those other guys coming. And I just did the best block job I could possibly, you know, do. It really wasn't as bad as trying to block for the 125s last year. I was pretty surprised. I thought, uh, well, you know, even when I took the white fly, I said, it's not over with yet. But I tell you, this DuPont Chevrolet just drove great. The, this DuPont crew, they're the best in the world, and we love them. Tell us how you got skin up. Well, uh, when I was trying to go out on the outside of Brett Bodine, I think when I got on the outside, I don't know if his car was pushing or what, but... You know, I wasn't about to let off the gas and, and, and let him the, the two cars or three cars get ahead of me. And so I just stayed on the gas, and we rubbed a little bit, and I straightened that thing back out, and away I went. <laughs> well, that's what makes a race driver when he won't step off the gas. He's got to keep going, and uh, I think he's going to do a good one. Quite a day for young Jeff Gordon. Quite a young race car driver who really proved his mettle here a year ago. Well, the Goodies Headache Award's been handed out, Barn. Yeah, the members of the media covering today's Bush Clash have voted the Goodies Headache Award of $1,000 to P.J. Jones, plus a $250 donation will go to the Brenner Children's Hospital up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, from Goodies Manufacturing Company and P.J. Jones. Let's go back down to the pits. Well, Brad Bodine, pretty happy with your run, but coming down to the last, who do you make the decision on who you're going to go with? You've got to go with someone. You went with Jeff Gordon. Well, you know, Jeff had some momentum build up, and uh, I just needed that to get my car rolling. If I got my car bogged down, I wasn't very good. Uh, I needed to keep my momentum. I had a good run, Jeff did, and uh, I could win it from second, possibly. I couldn't win it from fourth, and uh, I just felt like that was my best choice. Uh, you know, come down to the last lap, uh, when Dale and them finally did get single file, I knew they were going to come at us hard, so we had to kind of try to break their momentum down the back straight away. That worked. Dale just didn't elect to stay with me and push me on by Jeff. You know, I, I kind of figured that was going to happen. But uh, come down to the wire, I just had to try to take up as much racetrack as I could. Well, you told me before this race started, you said, I'm going to go to the front if I can't. The car looked like it was very good out there. I'll tell you, just the race car super. It's the best race car I've ever had on a super speedway. My guys are just fantastic. They built one of the best cars I've ever sat in. And I'll tell you what, Jim, you know, it feels great to have two hands on the steering wheel for a while. It's been a long time since I've been able to do that, you know, since my injury at Dover. And to come back and have a run like this, you know, I'm just tickled to death. Brett Bodine finishes second in the Bush Clash of 94. Check back in with Winston Kelly. Well, walking along beside Ernie Irvin. Ernie, it was a wild ride toward the last few laps. Describe him for us. Well, you know, I just I was out front and kind of must have pinched the car off a little coming out forward, and Dale got up beside me and 
So I did everything I do to keep him from by, from getting by me. And, um, you know, I left the door wide open for Jeff. And Jeff made a good move and um, ended up winning the race. Did you ha- ever think you had a chance to get back around him, just not enough time? Well, it wasn't enough time. I really feel like, you know, maybe we'd have had some more shots at him. You know, we'd have been all right. But, yeah, you know, it's a 10-lap race, so you got to make your move at the right time. So maybe I should have made mine a little later and maybe been in a different position. But you do what you think you got to do at the time. That's Ernie Irvin. Had a good, strong run this afternoon. He came home fourth. Again, Jeff Gordon will win the second segment and the overall Bush Clash. Brett Bodine finishes second, Dale Earnhardt third, Ernie Irvin fourth, Mark Martin ran fifth, Kyle Petty was sixth, Bill Elliott was seventh, Kenny Schrader finishes eighth, Rusty Wallace ninth, Harry Gant tenth, Jeff Bodine eleventh, twelfth goes to Bobby Labonte, and P.J. Jones finishes thirteenth. So it's quite a start to the racing activities here today, but right now down on the racetrack, 43 cars being rolled out to the line for the running of the ARCA 200. We'll be back with some final thoughts on the Bush Clash, then the ARCA 200 yet to come. Well, Dale Earnhardt won the first leg, but it was Jeff Gordon who takes home the big prize in the Bush Clash of 1994 here at Daytona. The fifth place finisher was Mark Martin driving the Valvoline Ford. Winston Kelly is with him. Mark was up toward the front, actually he was in the front of the pack during the second segment, dropped back just a bit. Your description of the last few laps of the race. Well, I was back at the tail end of that draft there. Uh, we got a good start and made some, uh, you know, had some good moves and and got to the front, but I just didn't have enough speed to keep it. I did everything I could to block, but, man, they were coming so hard there wasn't, you know, there wasn't enough. I didn't, I, I couldn't get wide enough to stop them. And so I dropped way back or back several spots and then managed to get one back. It was just, you know, one of those drafting deals where the fastest car doesn't always win. And I don't I don't think the fastest car won in that race. And I don't think you want it to for the fans sake. So uh, the thing that I was encouraged about was I knew that I didn't have the fastest car. So I was glad that the fastest car might not win. But as it turned out, I just wasn't in the right shuffle and uh, and, uh, you know, those guys were, Gordon was right there at the right time to be in the front. It was one of those deals. Still finished fifth without the fastest car. Now, you were telling me you got a different car for next week. How does it look for the 500? Well, it's quite a bit better than that car. I only had, I had a one real slow car and one pretty darn fast car, and we saved the fast one for the 500. So we're looking forward to, you know, to getting on. I wish we could run another race today with this one here because it's going to be a little bit more fun. Mark Martin and the Valvoline Ford finished fifth this afternoon. Again, a complete race update for you. Jeff Gordon is the winner, takes home $45,000. Brett Bodine comes home in second spot in the Bush Clash. Dale Earnhardt, who won the first segment and the $25,000 payoff for it, comes home in third. Fourth is Ernie Irvin. Mark Martin finishes fifth. Kyle Petty, who we talked about early in the show, said I either finish sixth or seventh, regardless of where I start. He finished sixth again here today. Seventh goes to Bill Elliott. Ken Schrader was eighth. Rusty Wallace came home ninth in his maiden voyage in his new Ford. Tenth was Harry Gant, eleventh Jeff Bodine, twelfth Bobby Levante, and thirteenth was PJ Jones. The event was stopped midway through due to a slight rain shower. After about a half hour delay, it went back green. The racing itself was run incident free. They are continuing to roll the ARCA cars out there for today's ARCA 200. 43 strong. They'll be set to go here in just a couple of minutes with Loy Allen Jr. out of Raleigh, North Carolina in the Hooters Ford up there on the pole. Boy, what a couple of days he has had here. And then comes back yesterday afternoon to grab the pole for the Daytona 500. We went down and talked with him a little bit during our Bush Pole Show yesterday afternoon. And the youngster was as cool as a cucumber, as they say, 
considering everything that had happened. But I think as the weekend goes by, and even here after today, he'll have time for all of this to soak in of what he has accomplished here in the last 48 hours. And uh, he may get a little case of nerves right then, but today he's going to be fine. Well, I think on Thursday when he looks to his right and sees a big-name Winston Cup competitor alongside him in the Gatorade Twins, and then one week from today when he looks to his right and sees Dale Earnhardt in that big black uh, number three sitting there, I think he'll realize exactly what he's doing. But at the same time, Loy Allen, a very talented young race car driver who does not come here without any credentials of his own. This ARCA 200 is the premier event for the Automobile Racing Club of America's Hooters Cup Series. The race has been held here since 1964, began as a 250-miler, then moved up to a 300-mile event. Now it's down to the 200-mile distance, as has been the case since 1973. 80 laps, and this is a race, Barney, that has really spawned many of the top Winston Cup drivers of today. If you look back over the record books, you'll see Kyle Petty winning his first ever event here in an ARCA 200. Names like... uh, well, Rick Wilson comes to mind. There's so many drivers who have come here. Benny Parsons, a former ARCA driver. Legendary names like Iggy Katona and so many others who got their start in ARCA racing. And particularly here at Daytona, they used this event to a springboard to start them. I didn't realize that Daryl Walter won two ARCA races. I was looking back in the record book. I didn't even ever remember Daryl running in ARCA, but he did, according to their uh, records that was up here in the tower. Daryl won a couple of uh, those events. I think Mark Martin ran some ARCA races. Even Fred Lorenzen, as far back as in the early 60s, Fred ran quite a few of those races. Curtis Turner ran some of the ARCA races way back in the early days. So a lot of NASCAR's top stars over the years have kind of got a start there and moved on over into what used to be Grand National Racing, but is now the Winston Cup division. What do we head down? towards the pit lane right now where the 43 starting cars are being pushed out onto the grid. Again, we've been talking so much about the pole sitter. Why don't we get a word from him directly out of Raleigh, North Carolina. The Hooters Ford for Loy Allen, the only man to break 190 miles an hour in qualifying for today's ARCA 200. Let's see if Jim Phillips has caught up with our pole sitter. Well, in 1992, Eli, when I talked to Loy Allen, he's fresh off the dirt tracks, didn't have a lot of experience. He said, I'm going to start this race and try to find a comfortable position to run in. The story's a little bit different. Now you have a experience here at the Daytona International Speedway, and you qualified over 190 miles an hour. Do you have enough experience to win the race today? Uh, the Hooters car is running really well. Uh, the TriStar Motorsports are doing a great job with the car. I think today we're just going to look at trying to get some uh, experience and running with the guys here. Uh, that'll just only help us in Winston Cup. Uh, there's so many competitive cars here, you're just going to have to wait and see how it winds up. This particular race, of course, we have a lot of unexperienced drivers in this race. How do you set your pace? Do you try to go out and lead every lap, or do you try to set a pace that you can live with all day long? I think what you have to do is just find a car that you can draft well with, that the car doesn't get loose or push uh, with it all day, and just kind of see who you can run with toward the end of the race. But all the guys here during practice, everyone's been doing really great. I mean, they're staying in line. Uh, The cars that are in front of you, if you're coming up to lap them, they're not making any uh, abrasive moves from side to side. So that's just making the racing that much better. That's 27-year-old Loy Allen. He's got the pole position for today's ARCA 200. Very young drivers up on that front row outside pole. Tim Fedewa of Holt, Michigan. Very personable young man. We had a, a good chat with him the other day, and I think he's got a great future in this business, too. He'll be starting on the outside of the front row. Dick Brooks is with him. Yeah, Tim Fedewa, he's standing here uh, ready to go, I guess. I asked him, I said, are you ready to go? And he said, man, let's get it on. So what do you expect today? Well, I expect a lot of close racing, you know, uh, a lot of cars here real close in the draft, and... Uh, we're just going to hang together, and uh, hopefully we'll all be there at the end, and every man for himself. Emmy's ARCA cars are getting to be real, real race cars. Not saying that they didn't used to be, but most of the time they just ran a lot of short tracks and stuff. 
they come here to the big racetrack like this. Now they got some good race cars. What do you expect today? Yeah, you know that the field is is incredible. Uh, I think every year they seem to get a little better and better, and uh, this is kind of proof. You know, the speeds are real fast. Uh, we got a lot of talented drivers, and uh, I think you know, like I said, there's going to be a it's going to be a heck of a show. You can win the race, huh? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, he's excited and ready to go. Tim Fidoa, who has finished second in Atlanta and third in Pocono, back as his best career performances. He lines up outside of row number one. Inside of row number two here, right behind another dirt tracker, Loy Allen, is yet another dirt tracker. Bob Hill, he's from Story City, Iowa, in the Wells Fargo Chevrolet. It's painted up just like Jeff Gordon's car. Why? It's a former Hendrick car with a very powerful engine in there. It's a Richard Childress power plant. Bob Hill apparently is rather well-connected, Winston Kelly. He must be, Bob Hill. A great starting position. Only your third asphalt race from what we understand. What is the biggest transition that you're having to make to, to make it to, tra to uh, asphalt racing? Well, the tracks we've been running uh, have been super speedways, at least the last two. And uh, on the short tracks up in the Midwest, you definitely don't have to deal with aerodynamics and the draft like you do here. And, of course, the speed. And uh, I'm just going to try to be careful and uh, stay out of trouble and find a comfortable position to run in and uh, hope we're there at the end of the day. Well, you didn't have too much trouble adapting. Records show that you finished fourth in Atlanta. How about the difference between Atlanta and Daytona? A lot of difference, isn't there? Well, there is quite a bit of difference. Uh, everybody told us maybe we shouldn't start at Atlanta because it is a difficult track, but uh, we wanted to have a race under our belt before we came here. And uh, a lot of differences here. You don't have to decide when to lift and when to get on it. At uh, Atlanta, you've got to decide how deep to run in there, when to get back on the gas, and how hard. So it's just a whole different deal, but they're both just awful fast racetracks. That's Bob Hill. He'll roll this Chevrolet off this afternoon in third position. And all the way back about 19th spot is Kirk Shelmerdine, who used to be the crew chief for Dale Earnhardt. Let's see if Jim Phillips has caught up with Kirk. Well, he's just as calm as he was when he was a crew chief. Uh, Kirk Shelmerdine getting buckled in here. Kirk, you're starting 19th today. You finished third in this race last year. Can you pull off a win today? Well, I don't know. We had a little help last year when uh, more than half the field decided they didn't want to run anymore. <laughs> um, so that helped us get a good finish. I, we had maybe a fifth-place car last time, and and uh, I didn't qualify well, that well, but I, I think we're about in the same shape this time. So I don't know. We'll just have to see how it goes. When you come down here for this race, what do you work on the most to get your car ready? Well, handling is a pretty big factor this time. The track seems to be pretty slick, and it gets bumpier every time, so... Uh, um, we've got more spoiler and, and a lot of things compared to the Winston Cup cars, but still there's some handling that has to be correct, and, and that's what I've spent most of my time on because we haven't been all that fast and there wasn't much use chasing it. Well, he's been a winning crew chief and certainly going to be a winning driver. That's Kurt Shepherding starting 19th here this afternoon. Also in the starting field today, the defending ARCA Hooters Cup Series champion. He's from the state of Michigan. He's a good one. He has driven the occasional Bush Series race and has all sorts of fine plans for what will likely be a sterling future for him. Tim Steele, starting back in 23rd spot. Sure a fellow that deserves it. He talks good, acts good, and wants to race and uh, wants to lead, he said. he got to get all the way to the front here today. Yeah, you know, we had some problems qualifying with kept losing fuel pressure and we scuffed the pistons both times we tried to qualify. And, you know, I think right now we got all the problems figured out in this HSI Ford Thunderbird. And, you know, just hoping uh, history don't keep repeating itself with a big wreck at the first few laps. And, you know, I think we'll be all right. I think we got a car definitely capable of getting up the front and, you know, maybe getting the lead after a little while. We're just going to 
take our time getting in the front. You know, I know that's what every driver tells you, but none of us would lie at all. You know that. <laughs> You're not running for the championship this year. Are you going to do something else? Yeah, we're just going to run, you know, the, the speedway races and get me the valuable experience on the speedways to run like 12 to 16 bush races. And um, if we get everything ready, we might run three to five Winston Cup shows, you know, depending on how everything goes. Um, I hope it all works out like it does on paper and I'll have a lot of experience when we walk away from this year. Well, they certainly got a good plan and it seems like a good fella. I uh, wish them a lot of luck. A lot of good young driving talent, very promising driving talent in the field today for the ARCA 200. There has never been a driver to win back-to-back Daytona ARCA 200, but the 1993 winner, Jeff Purvis, hopes to change that today, and he starts outside of row number two. Winston Kelly is alongside. The defending winner of the event, can you make it back-to-back, Jeff? I don't know. There's some pretty tough cars here. Um, we've been practicing pretty good, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we can be up close to the front and have a chance at it at the end. What kind of strategy do you have? We really don't. We're just uh, we're going to ride along on the Hoosier tires and see how that goes and and uh, just get down close to the end and then come up with the strategy, see where we're at on the, with the field and who's strong and who's not and try to place ourselves at the end. Jeff Purvis, the defending winner, starts the Delco Remy Chevrolet in fourth. We would like to say hello to those of you listening in LaPorte, Indiana, on WCOE-FM, in WFLE-FM in Flemingsburg, Kentucky, a new station with us here today, on Virginia's eastern shore in Exmoor, Virginia, WKRE-FM, in Lexington Park, Maryland, WMDM-FM, and in Iron Mountain, Michigan. We say hello to WJNR-FM. We welcome all of you aboard to our coverage today of the Bush Clash and the ARCA 200. Here at Daytona International Speedway, 43 teams are set to go racing in the ARCA 200. 80 laps around this two-and-a-half-mile Daytona International Speedway. 43 starters because of a 40-car starting field, plus two normal provisionals, and a past champions provisional, very much like we have in NASCAR Winston Cup racing. So 43rd, using that champions provisional, Bob Dotter of Chicago, Illinois, the Bell Motor Company Chevrolet. 42nd, Glenn Brewer of Columbus, Georgia. That's the CSR Construction. Chevrolet. Robert Ham from Auburn, Alabama, has the Budweiser Chevrolet going 41st. 40th is Bob Brevak of Ashland, Wisconsin. The Scafidi Motors Ford. 39th, Craig Rubright of Clearwater, Florida. The Snap-on Tools Oldsmobile. 38th is David Boggs of Fairfield, Illinois. He's in the Dove Chiropractic Buick. John Statham of Cleveland, Ohio, has the BFI Chevrolet in 37th. 36th is Alan Pruitt from Hickory, North Carolina. That's his own racing Ford. Frank Kimmel of Jeffersonville, Indiana has the Indiana Steel Oldsmobile in 35th. 34th from Makina, Illinois, is Bob Strait, the target expediting Ford. 33rd starter, Andy Stone from Pooler, Georgia, the Royal Oak Charcoal Oldsmobile. 32nd is L.W. Miller of DeShore, Pennsylvania, the Miller Auto Transport Chevrolet. And 31st, John Wilkinson from Hueytown, Alabama, the Discount Auto Parts Chevrolet. And 30th on the field this afternoon will be driver Wayne Peterson from Pulaski, Tennessee, in the Nelco Racing Pontiac, 29th, Laura Lane out of Charlotte, North Carolina, the Cunningham Racing Ford. 28th is Jeff Finley of Lansing, Michigan in the Babcock Clutch and Brake Chevrolet. 27th, Bob Williams of Canfield, Ohio, in the Wilhelm Racing Chevrolet. 26th, Rick Shepard. He's from Clinton Township, Michigan, in the Dart Heads Oldsmobile. 25th, driver Gary Weinbrower of Brook Park, Ohio, in the Budget Mobile Homes Oldsmobile. Then starting 24th, Bob Keselowski of Rochester Hills, Michigan, in 
the Winnebago, Galena's Chrysler. 23rd, driver Tim Steele, we heard from a moment ago, from Marnie, Michigan. He'll be in the HS Dye and Engineering Ford. 22nd, Billy Thomas of Phoenix City, Alabama, in the 701 South Pontiac. And 21st, driver Dick Trickle from Wisconsin's Rapids, Wisconsin, in the Pedigree Food for Dog Chevrolet. 20th starter stepping up from the NASCAR Slim Jim All-Pro Series, Gary Bradbury of Chelsea, Alabama, the Redline Oil Chevrolet. 19th, Kirk Shelmerdine from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, the Appling Boring Company, Oldsmobile. 18th, Jeff McClure, Harrisburg, North Carolina. He has Florida State University's Seminoles aboard as the sponsor of the Chevrolet. 17th, Michael Dawkin of Clearwater, Florida, their own racing Chevrolet. He's an STP Prestone Rookie of the Year candidate. 16th starter, Kenny Allen from Shelby, North Carolina, the Onsat Chevrolet. 15th, Dave Jensen from Grain Valley, Missouri. That's the safety clean Pontiac. Going 14th, veteran Bob Schacht from Lombard, Illinois, the engine component Oldsmobile. 13th, Bobby Gerhardt from Lebanon, Pennsylvania. That's the Gerhardt Racing Chevrolet. 12th starter, Peter Gibbons. He's from Stouffville, Ontario, Canada. That's the NTN Bearings Chevrolet. And 11th is a former ARCA Hooters Cup Series champion, Bobby Bowser from Springfield, Ohio. The Quality Farm and Fleet Ford. And a quick look at the top 10. Ron Burchett of Walkertown, North Carolina. The High Point Betting Pontiac is 10th. 9th will be driver Joel White of Royce City, Texas. Then the Action to Rent to own Ford. Starting 8th, Mark Stahl of San Diego, California in the Petron Plus Racing Ford. 7th, Mike Wallace of St. Louis, Missouri in the Duron Paint Chevrolet, and that car belongs to Kenny Schrader. We'll talk about that a little bit as the afternoon goes by. 6th position, Mark Thompson of Cartersville, Georgia in the First Union Bank Ford. 5th will be Bill Venturini of Chicago, Illinois in the Apex Racing Chevrolet. Fourth, Jeff Purvis out of Clarksville, Tennessee in the Delco Remy Chevrolet. Third, Bob Hill of Story City, Iowa in the Wells Fargo Chevrolet. And on the front row, we heard from both these drivers a moment ago. Outside pole is Tim Fidua of Holt, Michigan in the DR Racing Enterprises Ford. And on the pole, Loy Allen Jr. out of Raleigh, North Carolina in the Hooters Ford. Very impressive lineup and a lot of talent there. Not only from the veteran standpoint, a lot of drivers who've been coming here from a lot of years. Start your engines. There's the command to fire engines, but there's also a lot of young guys in there who now have enough seat time that they really should be 12 to 15 cars up in that lead draft all day. You talk about another impressive factor is the element that 25 teams packed up and have gone home. That tells you how competitive ARCA qualifying is now. They have 43 drivers in the field. 25 others were here but failed to qualify. So that's how healthy the ARCA Hooters Cup Series is in 1994. As the engines roar to life, I think one of the more innovative sponsorship programs in ARCA this year is the one that Jeff McClure has. He is sponsored here this week in Central Florida by the defending national football collegiate champions, the Florida State Seminoles. Every time the tour goes to a different city, there'll be a university from that area as the sponsor on the race car. They'll totally rechange, repaint the automobile to reflect the colors of that local university. Jeff, how'd this deal come about? Well, it, it started off with my brother Brian McClure come up with a deal. We was going to try to run a college at the last race in Atlanta down there last year, just, you know, for publicity more or less. And then he come up with the idea to try to run a full schedule like we're going to do this year. We got 20 different colleges for all the ARCA schedule, the 20 scheduled ARCA races. We make a one, make a 164 diecast car. 7,500 of them will be produced from racing champions, each, each car for each race. $10,000 of the proceeds go to the college itself for a scholarship fund. The, the 
the rest of the proceeds goes to us to keep racing on. So it's a good deal both for us to keep us on the track and to help the college out a little bit too. It's the most innovative idea. How did this uh, group of schools finally come to be whittled down? How many schools did you first contact when you began this project? I think we talked to like 30, 32 maybe, somewhere in that neighborhood there. Some colleges were interested in doing it, but by marketing reasons they had problems that they couldn't do. Or, But everybody showed a lot of interest in it, and nobody was really opposed to it. And, you know, we're looking forward to doing it. You know, we think it'll be good for the colleges both. You know, get them a little bit of exposure, and, you know, like I say, it helps keep us racing. And remember, Alan Bestwick, you are to keep your eyes on all of the cars, not just the one sponsored by your beloved Seminoles. Yes, sir. Today's broadcast of the Bush Clash and ARCA 200 is brought to you under exclusive radio rights granted by the Daytona International Speedway and MRN Radio, solely for the private, non-commercial use of our listening audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the description and accounts of this race without the expressed written consent of NASCAR and ARCA and MRN Radio is prohibited. Well, I think we're going to see a good one here this afternoon because uh, all these drivers that we've talked to all week long, you, you've been here long enough, Eli, I remember too, Nick Brooks touched on it a little bit when we first came on the air. Back when ARCA first started coming to Daytona, there was probably no more than four or five guys that made a living racing in the ARCA division. Everybody else came just for fun, like Jerry Churchill owned a trucking company and came down here to have a good time. And it was more or less a hobby or just a, a part-time deal. But in the last seven years particularly, most of these cars are probably built in Winston Cup shops. A lot of them are, and a lot of them are Winston Cup cars that they buy from teams as they upgrade over there and whatever. But not only are the, is the equipment that much better, the driving talent. Used to these guys, the only big speedway they ran was Daytona. They didn't run Atlanta. They didn't run at some of the other major tracks, like up in Michigan now and out in Talladega. So the seat time alone has just really made the competition just about as good as you can see anywhere. I talked about that with Jeff Purvis, about how far the series has come in the last three or four years. Well, they're getting some TV time, and, and that always brings in some, you know, pretty good sponsorship. And, and the more sponsorship, the more money. And, uh, you know, I, they're, they're getting some good race cars right here. There's some, there's some good quality drivers right here in this Arca garage and some real good cars in the garage. And again, some awfully good fellas on the highway right now heading back to their native Midwest after failing to qualify for this ARCA 200. For those of you who are just tuning in, why don't we again take you around this uh, two-and-a-half-mile speedway, reacquainting you with the voices who will be bringing you these 80 laps of competition out in turns one and two, an area that is always strategically one of the more important places on this racetrack, Joe Moore from Hampton, Virginia. Eli, we talked a lot about the draft coming into play in the Bush Clash earlier this afternoon. Well, it's certainly going to be an important part of this race as well, and maybe even more so because, to put it quite simply, a whole lot more cars in this field. 43 as opposed to the 13 out before the Bush Clash this afternoon. We'll watch some of these drivers, some very experienced drivers, some not quite so experienced, trying to work out their systems of drafting down this long back straightaway. And I think the interesting thing to watch is going to be some of the more experienced drivers who are back in the pack, like Bob Strait, who starts back in the 34th position, Dick Trickle, who starts 21st, Bobby Gearhart and Bob Shack also well back in the pack. Try to keep an eye on them and see how how they make their way through the pack, and if they hook up together, being uh, the veterans they are, to try to charge up towards the front of the field. We'll follow the action again for you as they go into turn one, hit turn two, and move down this back straightaway. That long back straightaway, they'll have a full head of steam when they go up into turn number three, and Alan, I know you've been down around the Arca guys just like all the rest of us have, and they have stressed to these gentlemen, you can't win the race the first three or four laps, and everybody remembers what happened here in the Arca 200 last year in the early going. It took out about 15 or 17 cars, and I think they're all going to be well aware of that. It's one of the biggest things for a driver 
to adjust to, Barney, when he comes from short track racing to a super speedway is judging how much space you have between two cars you're trying to get in between. You come down the back straightaway at 190 miles an hour or so, and that space that you're looking at out the right side window as it's flashing by, is that 16 feet long? Is it 14 feet long? And can you put your 15-foot car in there? And that's one of the toughest things for these drivers to adjust to, and it's critical at this part of the racetrack that they make the right guess when they decide to move over or not. Fred Armstrong has seen a lot of stories play out in front of him there in turn four over the years. And the ARCA cars, as we've said, Fred, use that just like the Winston Cup cars do to finish off the passes that they began at the other end of the turn. Well, and if you make a misjudgment down here, that's what has triggered off a couple of multi-car accidents. Again, we have some rookies here. We also have some experienced drivers. And it's going to be contingent upon those drivers to choose the lane and then stay there. A couple of times those, have been tri- those accidents have been triggered off by some less experienced drivers trying to drop from the top lane down to the inside lane. So the drivers after the they finish that back straight away. Need to choose their lane and then stick to it through turns three and four. Back at the tail end of the field, but great to see him out there for his 17th consecutive start in this event. Veteran Bob Dotter of Chicago, Illinois. That is a record. 17 consecutive starts here in the ARCA 200 as Doyle Ford gets set to show the green flag. Pace cars on pit road. Green flags in the air and the ARCA 200 is underway. Lloyd Allen Jr. and Tim Fedewa, two very promising newcomers on the front row. They stay exactly door-to-door as they move to turn one. Fedewa gets a nose out in front just before they climb the banking of turn one, but now Loy Allen turns it on down on the inside lane. He'll get a nose out in front, almost completely the car clearing the outside lane, but Jeff Purvis now drops to the inside. Will he give drafting help? No, he'll make it three wide for the lead. Here is Purvis all the way at the bottom of the track. Loy Allen in the middle. Tim Fedewa still on the outside. Give Purvis the lead, but now here's Fedewa trying to stay alongside. Bob Hill storms down to the inside and goes for second. Hill grabs a second position now. Loy Allen trying to struggle his way into third. Fedewa gives way, slides up to the top of the banking. Here comes Bill Venturini for fourth. He'll look to the inside for third now as he heads off turn four. Little give and take here on the first lap as everybody tries to sort themselves out. A couple of cars went backwards on the start. One seems to have a particular problem as Jeff Purvis steamrolls past start finish line, heads off into turn number one. But one car never did come up to speed. The Rulo Brothers entry, the pedigree food for dogs car with driver Dick Trickle at the wheel, went progressively straight back and he's right near the end of the field now as the lead car, Jeff Purvis, works on the back straightaway out of turn two. And he has about five car lengths on the Loy Allen machine. Another couple of car lengths to Bill Venturini. Then a good race for fourth. They're three wide coming down the straightaway. Mike Wallace down to the inside of Bob Hill. Tim Fedewa is there as well. Wallace splits the difference with Bob Hill. Takes it down to the inside of the racetrack. He'll race side by side with another car at the top of the banking for about the fifth position. Here they come off the corner. Wallace has the edge. And everybody will breathe a little bit easier now that these first two laps are about to go in the record book and the field begins to string out to give everybody a little breathing room. Jeff Purvis is the leader. Loy Allen rides second. Bill Venturini is third. The real scramble is going to be back there from fifth on back. And a couple of cars that were up in that lead pack on the starter back there, Joe. Mike Wallace is one of those who's kind of sorted his way through the traffic. It kind of held him up for a while. Mark Stahl directly ahead of Mike Wallace. Also in the thick of that battle, Bill Bowser. He tries to dig his way out from behind a slower car off turn two. Challenge will be for the fourth spot. Down the back straightaway, Mark Thompson drops his four down to the inside, trying to drop alongside Tim Fedewa. They'll go door-to-door to the corner. Tim Fedewa's hot white machine drifts up to the top of the banking. There's Thompson down to the inside with his green machine. They'll race side-by-side side for the fourth position. That's the way they stay off turn four. Thompson works off the low side of the racetrack, tries to grab a spot, won't force the issue here as coming back to the stripe, but is Purvis ahead of Loy Allen and Bill Venturini. Dra-
Kraft is beginning to break away the front three cars out all by themselves. Then there's two cars running along tucked tightly, and then about another pack of about seven or eight over in front of Alan Bestwick. Barney, that pack broke up because a couple of drivers had trouble over in the middle of turns number one and two. One car in particular, the Ron Burchard car, got down on the apron of the racetrack with the left side tires. Someone up in front of him came off the throttle in a big hurry, and he made a beautiful piece of driving to keep from losing control of that car and keep it on the racetrack. And someone was Mike Wallace up here as he saw the car begin to slip. He did get out of the throttle, hit the brakes, and drifted up the banking a bit. And again, a great move by Mike Wallace to avoid what could have been quite a crash here. So some good close quarters racing, but again, the ARCA car is very, very stable, and the drivers really having picked up their talent level over the last number of years, as we have documented. 80 laps make up the total distance. We are four laps complete. Jeff Purvis heading to turn three with a three-car length lead. And a move for the sixth spot. Mike Wallace will move down to the inside of the racetrack and around Mark Stahl's car and pick up the position. Now Bowsker will move on Stahl as he moves into turn number three. He'll look to the bottom of the racetrack. Mark Stahl's machine drifts up the banking. They'll scoot around a slower car. Nobody changes position back in that battle. Things happen in a hurry out of turn two. We're under caution. One car got into the outside wall coming off the second turn, Barney. That was Ron Burchett, the Walkertown, North Carolina driver. His car got into the outside wall, bounced off it twice, and started spinning down the back straightaway. Then, just as a pack of cars came along, his car came off the outside wall right across the racetrack in front of Ron Keselowski. The right front of Keselowski's car hit the right rear corner of Burchett's machine, spun it around. Then cars began locking up the brakes and sliding in all the smoke and debris. Billy Thomas's car was involved. Gary Bradbury got into the outside wall. Laura Lane's car spun around and stopped, though she was able to fire up and continue on away. Safety workers now at the Bradbury, uh, the Burchett, and the Thomas cars that are still on the scene. Keselowski has limped his car back towards the pit lane. And Ron Burchett's car has some heavy damage to the rear end and the front. As the safety crews are there, he's about to climb out of the car, so he should be all right. In one more lap, we'll be going back to green here at the ARCA 200. Winston Kelly just reports that Gary Bradbury and Billy Thomas both walked into the infield care center for the mandatory checkup there. So apparently, at least visually, they're doing just fine after being involved in an accident a short while ago. The leader is Jeff Purvis. Loy Allen runs in the second spot. Bill Venturini now lines up in third. Mark Thompson goes fourth. Tim Fidua is in fifth. Sixth is Bobby Bowser. In seventh spot, they'll post the Jeff McClure. Automobile. Eighth place, they'll have Tim Steele, who started back in 23rd. He's all the way up to eighth now. Ninth position will be Mark Stahl on the restart. And tenth will belong to Michael Dawkin. He started in 17th. Eleventh spot will be Frank Kimmel. Twelfth goes on the restart to Bob Schacht. Thirteenth position, they'll have Bob Strait. Fourteenth goes to Kirk Shelmerdine. And running in the fifteenth spot here on the restart will be Bobby Gerhardt. Let's check back into the garage area once more with Winston Kelly. Any chance of those other cars getting back in at all, Winston? Well, the other cars are not. They were in that accident. Robert Hamm is still sitting in his car. What's the problem on it, Robert? Well, we lost a cylinder. Right when we went to get up to speed, the car went to skip and it lost a cylinder. And They're working on it right now trying to find out what the problem is, and we hope we're going to get back out on the track just a little while. That's Robert Hamm. He hopes to get back in. Gary Bradbury, Billy Thomas, and Ron Burchett will not be back this afternoon. It's been a pretty clean race so far. We're hoping uh, that they would get uh, at least half of it in without having a serious caution and involving several automobiles. Last year, if you were here for the ARCA 200 or you were listening to our broadcast and you're a fan of the ARCA cars, you remember it took out about 17 or 18 cars within three laps. And after that, uh, Jeff Purvis he took out most of the good cars, and he just had kind of a cakewalk to get to victory lane. You talked to him this weekend, and I did too. He said, you know, if everybody stays in there, it's going to be a little bit tougher to win this time, but we're sure going to go for it. He's about to get ready to go back at it here right now. Waiting for the green flag to come up. 
up, only a couple of cars are being shown a lap down, down to the inside as Jeff Purvis brings them down to the line. Green flag goes up in the air. Loy Allen takes off after the leader. So does Bill Venturini and Mark Thompson. They'll stay single file to build up ahead of steam as they work back into turn one. Tim Vitawa tries to get by the Mark Thompson car back in the fifth position. He'll fall in line single file. Now try to make his move going up into turn number one. He looks to the outside, Vitawa does. No chance to go there. He'll peek down low. But again, no chance to make the move. The front ten cars go single file. Bobby Bowser almost loses control in turn two. Does a great job of gathering the car back in. But now he's dropped down to the bottom side of the back straightaway and he's slowing down the field blowing by him on the top side the front two with about a five car breakaway and right now Jeff McClure with some pressure from Tim Steele he started way back in the field he's moved his way up handily back in the second draft he'll work him over as they exit turn four Bobby Bowser a former champion in this series just missed the title a season ago they made some changes this year trying to improve the longevity of their power plants among other changes but right now that quality fleet of Ford cars on the apron of the racetrack heading back towards the pit area. The leader is in turn one. Race for the fifth spot. Dave Jensen draws a line down to the inside of Tim Fidewa to try to get by him. Piles back a little bit in the effort coming off the turn because now he's threatened by Tim Steele. He's about to move up and take that spot. Tim Steele drawing up on the back bumper of Jeff McClure who is also drawing on the back bumper of Tim Fidewa. McClure looks down to the inside of Fidewa. Now he'll fall back in line. Single file into three. Steele trying to take advantage there. Dropping down to the inside of the racetrack but neither cars give way. Here's Fidewa looking to the inside and Thompson as they race off turn four, but they'll hold position. And they all stay single file as they work down to the sharp finish line. Meanwhile, Bobby Bowser is on pit road. Let's get a report. He had a, uh, looked like a cut or a separated right rear tire. The tire, uh, the inner liner held good, but the outside of the tires came apart. About eight cars are up in the lead draft, and they're getting down to some serious racing right now in front of Joe Moore. Purvis leads the parade. Loy Allen right behind, and Bill Venturini, they're trying to break away, but the next pack won't let them get away. Mark Thompson, Tim Fidewa, and Dave Jensen all hooked up behind him. And that race for fourth on back is real tight. Now Thompson feeling a lot of heat on his back bumper from Tim Fidewa, who started on the outside of the front row, trying to find his way back to the front. Thompson swings his green machine down to the bottom of the racetrack, but Fidewa puts a Ford right down on the apron, almost steals the lane away, but Thompson grabs it back as they exit turn four. Thompson staying off the low side of the racetrack. Opened the door for a moment, but then managed to gather it back in and hold off the challenge. One man is starting to climb his way back towards the front. Bob Hill, the dirt track ace, he had a pretty good starting spot, then backed off just a bit in traffic. He's now mid-pack. He's settled in. He said one thing he's had to learn is that aerodynamics is a big story here. He doesn't have to deal with that on the dirt, winning the championship for the NASCAR Bush All-Star Tour. It's a big story right here. Battle back at about the ninth spot now, but again, Alan, it settles down. They were trying to draft that out and go double wide, but being the last cars in line, if they get doing that, they're going to lose touch with the leaders. Frank Kibble was trying to get around Mark Stahl, but wisely he dropped back in line. And he loses about two car lengths on that as Mark Stahl pulls his black machine out front. Meanwhile, the lead draft all single file. Nobody steps out of line. Seven cars are locked up in that lead draft just about a half a car length apart as they swing back down. Meanwhile, they have shaken most of the field. There's two cars in between the lead draft and that second big pack of traffic as it crosses the start-finish line and works back into turn number one. Good scramble going on for fourth place over in turn two. Mark Thompson trying to make a move as he drops to the inside of the racetrack, but Tim Fidewa will advance on the outside lane. He'll have some drafting help from Dave Jensen. They'll hook up coming off the corner and blow by Thompson. Now they'll go back in line single file as Thompson is left all alone on the bottom side of the racetrack. He's going to try and squeeze in line in front of Tim Steele. He'll get in line in that spot. He'll fall back in the sixth position. Tim Steele working on that sixth position. Thompson's Ford right down to the inside of the racetrack. His green machine blocks the inside lane. 
steals red car, trying to make the move to the inside. Can't do it off turn four. Everybody holds their position for a moment in fourth spot. The drivers look inside and out, but holding off all challenges right there was Tim Fedoa. He looked in the mirror and saw Dave Jensen trying to sneak a peek to the inside. He couldn't pull it off. The lead car is now pulling away. The front dozen or so single file and making some hay. Big jump from the front dozen back to the second pack of cars in the field as the front pack leaves turn number two and hits the back straightaway. And now Purvis begins to stretch it out on his own over Jeff Purvis. It's a couple of car lengths there. Boy, Allen got just a touch out of shape off the second quarter and Bill Venturini closing the gap on him quickly. Had no place to go. Has to stay in line. Couldn't make the run down to the inside and challenge for second. Venturini now under pressure from Tim Fedeway. He looks to the inside of the racetrack. McClure also right down to the bottom of the racetrack, but no change of position. Loy Allen Jr. holds on to second. The third caution flag of the afternoon in the ARCA 200 is flying for a single car incident in turn three. Laura Lane was racing back for the 25th position. Her red, white, and blue Ford lost control and appeared on the bottom of the racetrack as she maybe tried to stick it down just a bit too low. It eased up to the top of the banking. A pretty good solid hit to the middle of the of the banking between turns three and four. No contact with any other car. She slid down to the inside of the apron and uh, the ambulance and the uh, wreckers are on the way right now. So uh, apparently she will be out for the afternoon. At least we're going to speculate. So a little damage to the car. She will join driver Jeff Finley, Dick Trickle, Billy Thomas, Robert Hamm, Gary Bradbury, Bob Keselowski, and Ron Burchett as the cars that have gone behind the wall. Incidentally, Jeff Finley, who brought out the caution just a few minutes ago, down in turns one and two, has walked into the care center under his own power just as a precautionary checkup. So apparently he is all right. One half left from going back to green. Still Jeff Purvis showing the way. Tim Fidua in the second spot on the leaderboard. A quick update from Dick Brooks. Well, we got, uh, he's getting out of his car talking to somebody here. I'll be right with him just in a minute. Bobby Gerhardt is the man that uh, Dick Brooks was discussing there as he is just now climbing out of the car. They are still trying to survey the uh, situation there with the smoke billowing from the rear of the automobile. Getting set to go back to green. They'll put it on the uh, board here at lap number 28. And it is an 80-lap event here, the season opener for the ARCA Series. We gave you the top two. Running in the third spot now is Jeff McClure. Fourth place belongs to veteran Bill Venturini. And fifth on the restart will be Mark Stahl. Been some good racing among these uh, young drivers up front as they come down, and the green flag goes in the air. They head off to turn number one. They'll be chasing Jeff Purvis as he scoots off into the corner. Tim Fedewa loses the draft for just a second as a lap car about to sandwich in between the leader and the second place in turn one. It's Bobby Bowser who started along the front side of the race leader and had a problem earlier on. He will get by Jeff Purvis to unlap himself, so Purvis is forced to try to find a place in line before Fedewa overtakes him. Purvis sees he can't do that. He pulls up alongside Bowser again and races side. Now he will put Bobby Bowser back a lap down. Bowser will fall in between the first and second place cars. Now side by side for second. Jeff McClure down to the inside of Tim Fidewa. Bad news for McClure as Bowser's car shuts down the inside lane, but now Fidewa gets hung out to dry. Here's McClure as Bowser comes up to speed, grabbing the position away from Tim Fidewa. They're back to side by side. Jeff McClure, a very talented racer. He's the fellow that Darrell Walchip selected to have him qualify a car for DW down at Texas World Speedway last year when Darrell found himself in a scheduling jam. It was McClure who got the car qualified in fourth. Darrell went on to win the race. They're back in one. Single file among the front three cars now with Purvis showing the way. Bowser again, the lap car in between him and Tim Fidewa. Then the Dave Jensen car. A couple of car links back to Michael uh, Wallace and also the Mike Stahl car. Mark Stahl running next in line. He's in the fifth position. Running in sixth is Mike Wallace now. He's right on the back bumper as they work single file or make that uh, Kirk Shelmerdine running in sixth as they work to three. Shelmerdine's black 
Machine goes up the banking. Stalls Black Machine drifts down the banking. Now Shelmerdine looking to the inside. Can't make a move there in that second draft back. Meanwhile, Purvis leads back to the stripe. Front four continue to ride nose to tail. That's been a good battle all afternoon for the lead. There's been no less than five, four to five cars up there dicing for that lead all day long as they swing back into turn number one. We're looking a little bit further back in the field. Loy Allen, who came out after that pit stop a moment ago, he is way back there, about 17th or 18th in the running order as the cars work over to Joe Moore. And Joe, he's got a lot of traffic to get around if he catches that lead draft again. He's got Craig Rubright right directly in front and Bob straight to the outside, working the slower cars and doing all he can for the time being. All he can do is just follow them in the draft off turn two. He's going to try and pick his way between traffic halfway down the back straightaway now. Rubright's car drops down to the inside. Loy Allen will go up to the outside. Now try and follow Bob straight up to the high side of three. Loy Allen Jr. takes it up to the outside of the banking. He'll dust off one car and now another as he shuffles through the corner. But a long ways up to the lead draft as Purvis heads back to start finish. And Purvis still has the comfortable edge while we check back in with Dick Brooks. Well, Bobby Gerhardt's out of his car and he's standing here. Bobby, what happened to your car today? Well, I believe that wreck on the backstretch. Something come up off the speedway. It went through the front timing cover and we went three or four laps. Smelled a little bit of oil and it finally come on big time. There was a report you had some problems up home. What was that? Well, I had a huge garage in central Pennsylvania fall to the fall to the ground, about a hundred by two hundred structure with all the ice and snow, so it's been a rough week. Yeah, he was telling me that uh, it crashed his cars and all of his equipment stuff, so it is a it is a rough week. 16, 18 feet of snow he's had up there since Christmas. They've had some really rough weather all through the Northeast and even up in the Carolinas and down in South Carolina and even in Alabama. Exactly right. A lot of ice. And in northern Alabama, there was some snow as well. It's been an unusual year. But here right now, it's sunshiny as far as Jeff Purvis is concerned. He heads back into turn number one while Winston Kelly is down in the infield. Laura Lane has just come out of the infield care center. The good news is she's okay. But, Laura, what happened out there? Oh, this car is unbelievable. What an incredible car, and I feel so bad. My team has worked so hard, the Cunningham team. They gave me a beautiful car. I was making a pass. Here's Clayton Cunningham. <laughs> I was making a pass. I was going into three. I got inside the guy, and he just came down on top of me. Not much else that she can say, but the good news, Laura Lane, is okay. The bad news is she is out this afternoon. I've never seen a more disappointed person when her crew chief told her that the car was too damaged to get back in the race. And the attrition rate continues to build with Laura Lane and Bobby Gerhardt, the latest two retirees, to go behind the wall. Good scramble going on at the front of the pack. It isn't for the lead, but it's for second place, and there's three cars locked up in that over in turn one. What allowed them to start to shuffle here is finally getting by the lap car of Bobby Bowser. It is Dave Jensen finally getting by Mike Wallace, and now Fidawal. Works on Wallace for the third spot. They'll be side-by-side. Side. Fidoa's white Ford with the blue trim, and Mike Wallace's black Chevrolet down to the inside now. Still drag racing down the backstretch. Now is going to get the advantage. He'll pick up the third spot. Also, Fidoa trying to pick up the draft off Jeff McClure, who sticks it right down to the inside of the racetrack. There's Wallace hanging off the rear deck of Fidoa's Ford. About two car lengths in arrears as the top four race off turn four. It's about ten car lengths from Purvis, the leader, back to McClure running in the second spot. Then those three or four car lengths further back to Fidoa and then the Wallace car further back by about three quarters of a second the lap machine of Bobby Bowser he went one lap down earlier with a change of tires an unscheduled stop for him otherwise he had been running on the lead lap and running well 
They swing back over to turn number one, and again, Jeff Purvis has the car right now that everybody's been chasing all day long. A couple of times there's been three or four cars able to link up and chase him down Alan Bestwick, but they're not able to stay there very long. They're reeling him in again in turn number three this time. Second, third, and fourth place cars. McClure, Fidoa, and Wallace have hooked up now, and they are chasing down the leader. They've tracked him down in a big way. Here's Purvis right down to the bottom of the racetrack, but his Chevrolet is under fire. Here comes Jeff McClure right up behind off turn four. McClure just biding his time now as he follows the tire tracks of Purvis. Purvis going through the trioval area back to the stripe. Here they come and no change in the running order as Purvis has it nose to tail. The front four looking either way. Nothing to change. Further back, Loy Allen now making a move. He'll work to the outside of some traffic. He is still a goodly distance back but now working his way up to 10th on the leaderboard. Allen has picked up some drafting help. Loy Allen that is along with Bill Venturini there. Tim Steele has fallen in line and Bob Strait as well. That foursome works for the corner off turn number two. Again, they've moved up to the 10th position. And down the back straight away a challenge for the lead. Jeff McClure dives to the inside. Tim Fidoa will try and go with him underneath Jeff Purvis. Purvis takes it up to the top of the banking. Fidoa dusts us off Mike Wallace. Now Fidoa works on Purvis's car. Purvis hung out to dry on the outside all by himself. Jeff McClure leads back to the stripe. Tell you what, these young ARCA drivers have really put on a good display here this afternoon of some driving skill and having developed all this experience over the recent years as they work back into turn number one. The front four continue to link up in a tight draft. Tim Fidoa has been very impressive. I asked him yesterday do you have the experience to stay up in that lead draft? Well, you know, here I don't have a lot of seat time, but but I feel real, a lot more comfortable after running a full uh, year on the Bush Series. You know, that experience is, is something that is hard to come by, and I think after a year there and, and uh, a few of these ARCA shows, we're, we're, I think we are ready to run. He's having a great run here this afternoon. He currently is posted up there in second place as we're looking at the halfway mark coming up here in about four more circuits around. 36 laps complete in the ARCA 200. Trouble we'll on right the back, back straightaway. One car upside down. Two cars colliding. The car skidding across the infield grass. Barrel rolling five, six, seven times. Vaulting up into the air and coming down in pieces along the ground. Two cars involved. Mark Thompson's car, the one barrel rolling end over end. The other machine that's involved is uh, now come to rest about halfway down the back straightaway. That being the car of Michael Dockin, the Clearwater, Florida driver. A vicious crash on the backstretch. That car tumbled perhaps seven or eight times end over end, side over side, and bounces way out on the apron of the racetrack right in the middle of the backstretch. Joe Moore, you've got to look at it over there also. Yeah, Thompson was coming off the corner. You could see the back end come loose. He almost lost it and tried to pull it back in. It started sliding sideways and looked like maybe it would be just a, an innocent slide across the grass here, but suddenly the air hit it wrong. The car went up in the air and, as you said, went over six or seven times before finally landing about halfway down this back straightaway. How that all began off of turn number two. Dawkins' car hit the outside wall. The car just went right when he came off the corner like it was pushing and he couldn't get it to turn. And when he bounced off the wall, he then came back across the racetrack and hit Thompson's car. When Thompson got sideways, the car got up in the air and began the series of flips into the grass. Quickly, let's go to the backstretch uh, for an update from Alan Bestwick. Barney, Michael Dawkins climbed from his car and walked to the uh, ambulance for the trip to the infield care center. The... Uh, Thompson car, the Mark Thompson machine is completely surrounded by safety personnel all of the sheet metal was gone from the car and they are all over the machine now working with him and uh, he is still inside the car being attended to by the safety workers. And just about the half the entire front of the field has elected to go on to pit road for a quick update, Jim Phillips. Boy Allen came in for tires Mike Wallace in for tires, Mark Stall in for tires, Jeff Purvis in for tires and gasoline, Tim Fidawai in I talked to several crew chiefs down to the pit lane earlier before this race started, and they said they expect it to be a one-race stop, a one-stop 
of the entire race as far as fuel is concerned, so they can't go uh, over 40 laps on a tank of fuel. We'll cover some more of those stops in a moment. Getting set to go back to green flag racing in just about one half lap from now. Jeff Purvis and Jeff McClure have been the race leaders to this point. Average speed, as we've told you, 116.831 miles an hour. There have only been four drivers to repeat as winners of the Daytona Arca 200. Iggy Katona has three wins. Andy Hampton has a couple. Ben Hess has two wins. Jimmy Horton has two wins. But as we said at the outset of the broadcast, never have those wins come in back-to-back seasons. That's what Jeff Purvis is trying to do here today. If you just tuning in. Gary Bradbury out of the event. Ron Burchett, Billy Thomas, Bob Keselowski, Dick Trickle and Jeff Finley. Laura Lane gone for the day. Bobby Gerhardt, Mark Thompson, Michael Dawkin, Wayne Peterson. Those are the drivers in the garage area as we get set to go back to green. And I believe they're going to be posting uh, Tim Steele as a leader. That's the way they're lining up on the racetrack. There should be a couple of cars directly ahead of him that would be on the tail end of that lead lap. Bobby Bauscher would be one of those and I think Frank Kimmel may be the other. But uh, We'll wait in just a few moments to make sure that is true. But the last time by, they were indicating that after that round of pit stops, some of the front cars decided to go on a pit road that should put Tim Steele as a leader. Here they come, down to the line. Green flag about to go in the air, and they set sail for turn number one. Again, the two cars at the head of the field will be Bobby Bowser and Frank Kimmel, but they should be on the tail end of the lead lap because Bowser got his lap back just a little bit ago before that last caution flag came out. There's a good scramble back there for the lead as they head for turn two. And the scramble is over as they get into turn number two. Mike Wallace has gone around the outside of Tim Steele. He didn't come up to speed, but now seems to be reeling it in. Bob Hill runs in the third spot. Fourth now, Loy Allen Jr. in fifth is Tim Fiedema. And a tough break for Jeff McClure who led the field until that last caution flag went down the pit lane. Now he's all the way at the tail end of the field, now trying to work his way back up through traffic. Down into turn number three, looking down to the bottom of the racetrack is Tim Steele. Nothing doing there as Mike Wallace's car sticks right down to the bottom of the track. The two lap cars or I should say two cars on the end of the lead lap Frank Kimmel and Bobby Bowser, the factor there. Of course, as well as McClure has been running he has still only uh, four laps shy of half of this race to make his way back up to the front so all is not lost. Good scramble near the front. Bobby Bowser trying to stay on the tail end of the lead lap. The lead cars come barreling down on him. Same deal for Frank Kimmel. He works to the outside though and the lead cars will go by him. First off, it's Mike Wallace getting by. Now opens the door. Tim Steele will make the move but still both having to pass Bobby Bowser. Bobby Bowser leading the field now as they come down the back straightaway. About 11 cars in this lead group. Most all of them on the lead lap. They come to the entrance of Turner number three, Frank Kimmel will be bypassed and shuffled back into the field. Boy, Allen Jr.'s Ford gets around Kimmel. Now Tim Fiedewa takes his white Ford up to the top of the banking to try to dust off Kimmel as well. Now the draft tightens up off turn four. Here they come out of the corner, back to the start-finish line. Good scramble near the front. Some good news. We understand that Mark Thompson, the driver who was uh, injured there before, is uh, doing a good bit better. The uh, word we got was that he was unconscious when the medical crew got to him, but by the time he was transported to Halifax Medical Center, he had regained consciousness. He was coherent and talking with the doctors and the nurses, so uh, no word yet as to whether there might be some broken bones or anything along those lines but nevertheless uh, it certainly sounds a whole lot better than it looked a few minutes ago. Very spectacular accident in the back straightaway and if we get any further word we'll pass it along to you as quickly as we can. Coming through turns three and four talk about a heated battle let's go up to the number four corner. 
Mike Wallace right now getting a lot of pressure from Tim Steele. Also right there looming behind is Loy Allen Jr. And Bobby Boucher trying to stay on the tail end of the lead lap. He won't be able to do it. It's diving down to the inside comes Mike Wallace, and they're going to race door to door off into the corner. That's not for the lead, but it is to keep Bobby Boucher on the tail end of that lead lap, and that's exactly what he does in turn two. Wallace thought he had made the move by Boucher, but instead now it's challenged to the outside for the lead by Tim Steele. Steele up alongside Mike Wallace, while Bowser still maintains his spot out in front. Boy, Allen trying to decide who to draft with. He'll go to the outside lane and fall in behind Steele. Mike Wallace with no drafting help on the inside, but still able to stay up alongside Tim Steele into three. Caution is waving on the speedway. A piece of debris has just come out of one of the cars. It might have been a windshield. It was tough to tell exactly. Something flew high in the air, and the ARCA and NASCAR officials both on the back straightaway spotted it immediately. Some piece of metal or something, and uh, caution quickly being thrown on the field. So debris on the back straightaway, lap number 46. It is the fifth caution flag of the afternoon. Mike Wallace is being posted as a leader. Talk about a young driver dedicated to making it in this business. I think he has as much determination, maybe even more than Rusty Wallace, his brother, who's been so successful in Winston Cup does. And uh, he's getting all the experience he can. He's doing a great job here this afternoon. That is Kenny Schrader's car that he is in here. Kenny has entered one of his cars in the ARCA competition, doing a good job with it. Mike Wallace is a good one, though. There, yeah, I tell you, Rusty Wallace is not afraid to say. Oh, trouble oh. down in turn number four. All of a sudden, Loy Allen Jr.'s car just broke loose on the pace lap. He's collected several other cars, including Robert Ham and Jeff Purvis. The car was on the outside of the racetrack. All of a sudden, it just began to spin at about 45 miles an hour and collected three other cars down in turn four. That was hard to believe. I just happened to be looking up that way, getting ready for the restart, and all of a sudden that car did just turn to the right, went right out into the wall, hit it pretty good. How many? We got a couple of cars that aren't moving up there. Let's go back for an update real quick. Bill Venturini, another one of those cars. Venturini has since fired his machine and started back to the pit lane. Purvis also with some front end damage. Robert Ham's uh, car down here is sitting at the inside of the racetrack. He has the most damage, I think, of all the cars. Loy Allen tagged him a real good hit to the right front. Robert Ham may be out of this one. Some extensive right front damage. And he just made a hard right-hand turn into the wall. Purvis's car spun. Venturini spun. It kind of reminded you, who was it? Was it Kevin Colgan, I guess, in an Indy car race on a start of the Indy 500? The car broke loose, and he took out A.J. Foyt that day, as I remember. Uh, this was just, I mean, there was nothing nothing around him. All of a sudden, the car just made a hard right, went up the full 31-degree banking, Two other cars did the exact same thing behind him. You wonder if he might have put down some oil. You wonder if something might have broken on Loy Allen's car. Uh, it was very tough to tell. Uh, it just kind of make a hard right-hand turn. The car behind was about a car length and a half or two behind. And as Fred said, when Loy Allen hit the wall, he then came off and tagged Robert Ham. So let's get down an update from uh, Pitt Road. Maybe we can get more from down there, fellas. Well, he's got a lot of... Uh debris and stuff to clear off the front of the car on the right side. They're working on it. He has a damage to the left front fender. Jeff Purvis is in. I can't see a lot of damage to Purvis's car. Now, Bill Venturini, the right front of his air dam is totally lifted up. It looks like about four or five more inches. The right front fender is bowed out of the car. And now Purvis leaves the pit with the ratchet <laughs> installed in the left rear glass. And now they bring it back as crew chief Johnny Allen was hanging on. But he managed to get off the car, and now Jeff Purvis is backing back into his pit area, and they try to get your ratchet out, and they do. And so Purvis now can go back out on the racetrack. They did put four new tires on his car and send him on the way, and I'll get a further update 
on Loy Allen's car. Field coming down one more time. We're still under caution. Looks like they will get the indication this time. One more lap around, and we will go back to green. Talk about an unusual day. We've had a little bit of everything happen here this afternoon as Speed Weeks gets rolling for 1994. They do get the indication. One lap, and we'll go back to green. Mike Wallace is the leader. We want to say hello to those of you in Emporium, Pennsylvania, WLEM and WQKY AM and FM. Among the new stations joining us on our coverage today, WPDC in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, WHUN in Huntington, Pennsylvania, WGTR-FM in Surfside Beach, South Carolina, the Myrtle Beach area, among the new stations joining us here in 1994. Let's go back to Pitt Road. Well, Eli, uh, consider Eloy Allen lucky in a way, even though he did wreck his automobile in this race. They said a tie rod broke on the car that caused the car to veer out of control. And of course, that, that happened at 180 instead of 80. That could have been a lot more severe for Eloy Allen. That really is a break uh, to happen there and running about 65, maybe 70 miles an hour under caution and to have that break that would control the steering completely. You wouldn't be able to do anything with it. And that's why the car went into the wall. So Loy Allen will not win here this afternoon. And as he gets some more seat time here at Daytona, they push the car back up the pit road and we'll take him behind the wall set the field for you as they get ready to go back to green mike wallace is the leader tim Steele rides in the number two position bob hills had an up and down day here but right now they're posting him back up there in third place tim fedua is being shown in fourth position and the fifth place car right now should be kirk shelmerdine as they get ready to go back to green bob hill is that dirt track racer who is the champion of the nascar bush all-star tour this must be uh, quite a new experience for you yeah it's a whole different world all right it's uh it's hard to explain, but it's it's quite a thrill. And quite a thrill now that he's able to see this restart from right there among the race leaders currently third in line. They're in front of Fred Armstrong getting set for another restart. Well, this time everybody stays single file to the outside of the racetrack. Bob Hill back in third position. Right in front, Tim Steele. Mike Wallace getting set to take the green flag as the pace car dives down pit lane. And hopefully we can run this one right down to the checkered flag with no more yellows here this afternoon. Field waiting for the green. They get it as they come down to the dogleg part of the Daytona International Speedway. Green flag goes back in the air. Mike Wallace gets a good start. He'll pull away a couple of car links on Tim Steele. In fact, the front three have a lot of daylight between themselves now as they work over to Joe Moore in turn two. Steele's got a lap car separating him from the third place car of Bob Hill. It's about three car links behind Hill to the fourth place car of Kirk Shelberdeen and Bob Bob Brevac falls in line behind him. They all work single file through turns one and two. Now off turn two and onto the back straightaway. Looking back in the pack, watching Bobby Bowser, Jeff Purvis, and Jeff McClure try to work their way up through traffic and keeping the lead draft. Right now, they're about half the distance of the back straightaway away from the front two. A two-car breakaway now, Wallace and Steele. Tim Steele working on Wallace as they both dive down to the inside of the racetrack in turn number three. They'll stay right down on the apron as they exit turn four. Those two cars with about five car lengths on the rest of the field. Wallace and Steele have pulled away here on the restart just going nose to tail Jeff Purvis is another man that we have to watch out for as he's been strong all day while one car slows in front of Fred Armstrong one car way up at the top side of the banking Eli smoking staying out of the racing line and it was a good deal because a whole bunch of cars piled on by as that machine had some problems up at the top of the banking it's Peter Gibbons and the NTN bearing Chevrolet. Gibbons staying well out of the racing groove. No contact with any of the cars. And caution is on the speedway. And it will be the seventh one of the day as he limps onto pit road right now. Meanwhile, the field is heading up toward turn number three. And I believe they can race all the way back to the line as they just pass Alan Bestwick and head over to turn four. They're going to keep on racing. Steele looking to the bottom of the racetrack. But uh, Wallace will not give way. Those two cars stay one and two off turn four. They'll hold their position coming back to the stripe. Lap number 54 going up on the board. 
board this time. 80 laps makes up the total dif- distance. Mike Wallace continues to lead. Field comes down out of turn number four. Pontiac pace car is on pit road and I'm not even going to say. I hope we can run this one under green down to the checkered flag. Here they come, down to the line. Mike Wallace, the leader. Again, he gets a good start as they put the green in the air, pulls a couple of links away from Tim Steele as they work back into turn number one. Bob Hill tries to reel him in as they get to the corner. Tim Steele held up for a few moments by Joel White, one of the lapped cars. He finally clears that machine. Here comes Bob Hill now, next in line to get by the lapped car as he makes that move. Mark Stahl will close in on him. This will be a battle for third. Stahl peeks down to the inside, tries to make the move, but now will go single file off turn two. They will have to work some lap traffic as they come down the back straightaway now, so that'll force third and fourth to go single file. They've also allowed the front two to get away, making about ten car lengths between second and third. Mark Stahl moves down to the inside of the racetrack, trying to get down to the Bob Hill machine and, and battle there as they both go by the lap car. Both cars about one car length apart. Up front, the front two, ten car length advantage back to start finish. Mark Stahl's crew so excited this week that this is the best chance we have to run so very well here at Daytona. They're in the fourth spot right now, but the third and fourth place cars of Hill and Stahl had better get with the program here. The front two staying tied together, starting to pull away. Wallace and Steele beginning to walk away, and Steele staying right on the rear deck of Wallace's car about Five car lengths now out in front of the third place car of Bob Hill. Everyone single file. No one tests the water yet. And those front cars are going to see a couple of red and white machines coming up fast in their rearview mirrors. Bobby Bowser and Jeff Purvis are on the charge from the back of the pack. Purvis made a daring move all the way up to the top side of the backstretch in the entrance to turn number three. Last lap by. Managed to bypass about five cars in one lap. Bob Hill Chevrolet taking a look to the inside of Tim Steele in turn number four. Nothing doing there. But now the front three tightly tied together back to start finish. They tuck in single file. They'll try to get away from the the rest of the field if they can, but Jeff Purvis continues to slice his way through traffic. Bobby Bowser drafts along with him as they try to reel in the front three, and they're getting closer as they work back into turns one and two. Purvis swings around on the outside of Bobby Bowser, picks up the ninth position, now begins trying to close it on Bob Brevac for the eighth spot. Meanwhile, up front, the front six cars linked up nose to tail. Mike Wallace shows the way of the train off turn two. Tim Steele running in the second spot. Bob Hill is third. Running tightly together in fourth is Mark Stahl. Kirk Shelmerty runs fifth. Jeff McClure now joining that lead group. He's in the sixth spot as they work their way into the corner. McClure working on Shelmerdine for the fifth position. Shelmerdine's car slides up the banking. His black machine opens up a lane down to the inside of the racetrack. Here's McClure trying to take advantage off the fourth turn. He tries to make a move, but he'll think better over for the moment. He'll hold his position. Frank Kimmel's car slows on the racetrack. He'll be heading to the pit area, if not the garage. But all the while now, the top six cars tied together. Mike Wallace a moment ago only had to contend with about... Trouble in turn two. John Wilkinson gets turned completely around. He crashes into Jeff Purvis coming off the corner. Wilkinson slams him to the inside wall. Now Bob Brevac spins to the inside off the back straightaway. Brevac comes to rest halfway down the back straightaway. Wilkinson with a lot of damage on his car and Purvis with a lot of damage on the front end of his car. He spun down to the inside apron. Caution is on the speedway. It'll be the eighth one of the day involving three cars. John Wilkerson, Jeff Purvis, and Bob Breback for an update back to turn two. Wilkinson broke loose first. He was running on the outside of the lane trying to hold on to the car. The back end came around. He tried to straighten it. When he did, he collected the Jeff Purvis car. Those were the first two cars involved here. And again, Wilkinson made a lot of contact with the outside retaining wall. His car now has come to rest halfway down the back straightaway. Also, Purvis's car closer to Lake Lloyd and the dirt berm here separating the racetrack from Lake Lloyd. 
the uh, safety personnel now over checking with both the drivers. It's a tough call there because Jeff Purvis tried to go to the outside retaining wall to try and get around Wilkinson's car, kind of uh, gambling that Wilkinson's car would come to the inside. Bob Strait was also there in the equation, running right behind Wilkinson. Whether there was some contact, whether the air came off the back of Wilkinson's car when Strait pulled to the outside, very tough to tell, but Dick Brooks, I guess you just got to cast your lot there, and if you think the outside's going to be the way to go, you take your chance and hope the car doesn't come back up into you. In this case, Purvis guessed wrong. Well, there's no question about that. You you uh, you don't get many chances. You got to take the first shot that you can see, and you make that uh, you make it try to pay off. You know, Bobby Garrett said earlier he thought inside was the best place to go, and it just happened to be it wasn't. And I think the same thing here. You get one chance and one chance only most of the time. The leader is Mike Wallace. We talked about him a moment ago about how dedicated he is to this business. He is determined to make it as big as his brother Rusty, and even bigger if possible. He's got a real good attitude about this business. He learns real well. You've talked to him over the years, and I have too. You'll see him around his car, staying real close to his crew, making sure what's going on on his car. And then when he's up to date there, you'll find him over talking to other people too about what they're doing, what's working on their cars and stuff like that. Pace car about to pull on the pit road, and we're about to get down to it with 13 laps remaining in the ARCA 200 here at Daytona this afternoon. Mike Wallace, the leader, takes the green flag and again gets a good start. On this restart, he pulls away a couple of links from... Tim Steele as he has each time. Bob Hill trying to get up there and tighten up the draft. He is third. They're over to turn one. This time they don't have any lap traffic to deal with. It all goes single file up into the turn. Further back in the field, back for about the sixth position. They'll go three wide. Bob straight down on the inside of Kirk Shelverdine. Tim Fina will try to go to the outside. He'll be forced to fall back in line in single file. And again, this race for the sixth position. Meantime, up front, Tim Steele tries to take a shot at the lead. Looks to the inside of Mike Wallace. Wallace comes down the racetrack, puts the block on. Steele goes back in line single file. Steele takes a Ford right down to the inside, but he can't get by Wallace. His Chevrolet goes right down to the bottom of the racetrack. Nothing doing there. Everybody stays single file. Now here's the bid for third as Bob Hill gets all kinds of pressure off turn four. The Turk dirt track star trying to make a move there. Couldn't make it pay off. Kirk Shelmerdine further back has Tim Fidoa in tow. They'll try and work towards the front. The McClure car running in fifth spot. He peeks to the inside. Can't make a pass, but it's allowed all those front cars now to tighten up. Tighten up a great deal as they come into the turn. Further back in the Shelbertine takes a shot now at Jeff McClure. He falls back in line. Fidoa looks for a chance to move there. And up front again, Steele looks down to the inside of Mike Wallace. It has shaken out to be a seven-car lead draft as they rumble down the back straightaway. Mike Wallace dove down to the inside to try and break the draft on Tim Steele. Steele tried to put an outside pass on him, but they'll go back in line. Steele's red Ford staying right behind Wallace as they track their way into turn number three. Everybody stays single file. Here's Tim Fidoa looking to the high side of the banking to try to do something with Kirk Shelbertine. Doesn't pay off as they race off the corner. And that lead pack will stay single file. They'll look at the scoreboard. There'll be 10 laps to go here at the Daytona International Speedway in the ARCA 200. It is still Mike Wallace and Tim Steele. Trouble off turn two. Jeff McClure gets into the back of Mark Stahl. Spins him completely around off the corner. He holds the car down, though. Now he's been spinning on the grass on the inside of the racetrack. They were battling for the third spot. Caution is on the speedway. They will pick up the yellow flag when they come out of turn number four and race back to the start-finish line. The front two have broken away a little bit now as they come down to go under caution. They should be ten laps, make that nine laps now, remaining here at Daytona. Getting set to go back to green in just about one more lap here at Daytona. 71 of 80 on the board. Winston Kelly's in the garage with Jeff Purvis. Jeff Purvis involved in a couple of accidents. What happened in the most recent? Well, uh, the 59 car there, I guess he... uh, he got in a lot of traffic there, and maybe they took the, rear, the air off the rear spoiler, and he tried to pull the car down a little bit tight, and 
just spun and came back up in front of me. Awful strong car. Do you think you had enough to take it to the front? I felt like we did. We had a good car today. I really felt like. Defending winner of this afternoon's race, Jeff Ferviso out. Seven laps to go as they come down and take the green flag, and Mike Wallace takes off good this time. He'll pull three, maybe four car lengths ahead of Tim Steele, and the scramble is on back there for third place. They may get three wide before they hit turn one. Bob Prevac has the third spot, the lap car, Frank Kimmel working down to the inside. Jeff McClure, the one really trying to get out of the woods there, trying to clear himself from the lap traffic, and behind him they're stacked up double wide. Bob Hill and Tim Fito a side-by-side off turn two. That's for the fifth position. Meantime, the front two have gotten away by a couple of car lengths. It is still Mike Wallace and Tim Steele at the head of the pack now, side by side with some lap traffic. Jeff McClure, the third place car, trying to find a way around Frank Kimmel. Tim Fita was looming behind the McClure car. Now as McClure slides up the banking just a bit, Kimmel keeps his black machine right down to the bottom of the racetrack. Here's Fita looking all the way to the top of the banking off turn four. Can't quite make that move pay off. He'll hold his position now. The front two cars have the lapped car of Bob Brevac right in behind them. Then you drop back a bit further to the McClure car, running some five car lanes down. 74 laps on the board, six to go. Jeff McClure has finally got himself past some of that lap traffic directly ahead, but Fidoa has as well, and now he's tracking down McClure as they're both trying to close in on the front two cars. The lap car of Bob Brevac may be helping from third on back because he's providing a little bit of draft and they're beginning to close on the lead pair. Here's Jeff McClure now going to try and bypass the Brevac car as they come to the entrance of turn three. McClure looks down to the inside. Bob Brevac's car takes up about a lane and a half, so he can't make the move. Now Brevac slides up the banking. McClure looks to the inside but Shelmerdine now trying to make a move on Fidoa for the fourth position. He won't be able to do it. He just gets out real close to the wall, and then we'll tuck it back in single file. The problem from the third-place car on back is Bob Brevac. Now, Brevac can pull over and give him running room, but they're going to be able to get underneath him going into turn number one, and they have caught the leaders down in turn two. Jeff McClure dives to the inside of Brevac. He's bypassed that car, and he's right on the rear deck of the second-place car of Tim Steele. Likewise for Tim Fidoa. Here comes Shelmerdine, and Bob Strait will get by the lap traffic. Now it is a six-car shootout as they come down the back straightaway. Make it five. Straight's having a little bit of trouble getting by Brevac. They've separated themselves from that sixth-place machine. Mike Wallace leads him to three. The front four tucking together very tightly as they enter turn number three. Here's Kirk Shelmerdine just about a car length off the back of that four-car draft. Mike Wallace leads back to start-finish. Here they come back to the stripe. It'll be four laps to go this time. Everybody looking on and waiting to see who'll make the move. Here, tucking to the outside is McClure. It opens the inside for Fidoa. Fidoa makes the move. He'll grab third. He'll think about going to second spot. Can't make it. Glow. McClure tries to come right back. He'll fall back in line in single file. Now Shelverdine takes his chance. He'll die, go way up the banking in turn number one. Try to go to the outside of McClure. No chance to make that move. He'll fall back in line in the tail end of the draft. Meantime, Tim, Tim Steele, the second place car, has picked up someone behind him to help. That's Tim Fidoa. He can try and push him by Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace protecting the inside. Here's Steele with a look to the outside in three. The two Fords working over the black Chevrolet as they rumble into turn number three. Everybody stays down to the bottom of the banking. Fidoa looked like he might take a look to the upside, but there was McClure, so he dropped right back to the bottom of the racetrack. Three laps. That's what it's come down to right now in the ARCA 200 as they come down to the line and five cars are lined up nose to tail and it looks like it's going to be a five-car shootout. Mike Wallace is a leader. Tim Steele has tried him on the outside. He's took 
take a look on the inside, and if somebody gets a drafting partner, they may be able to do some business. They're back in turn two. And the pressure is on Steele right now. Not only is he trying to get by to pick up the lead, but now he's being pursued from the rear. Tim Fidewa trying to get by, and now McClure comes down to the inside of Fidewa for third. They'll race side by side. Now they'll race three wide. Kirk Shelmerdine comes to the bottom of the racetrack. Shelmerdine on the low side. McClure in the middle. Fidewa to the outside. Three wide into turn number three. Shelmerdine's black Oldsmobile right down to the inside of the racetrack. Still three abreast for the third position as they race through turns three. Now into four. It's a phalanx of cards off the fourth corner. Shelmerdine gets into McClure as they come off the turn. They bounce and wave as they head down to start finish. But what that has done is now effectively made this a two-car race. Shelmerdine, McClure, Fidewa straight. Now far enough behind that it's going to be a two-car battle for the win. A couple of laps to go for the leaders, Wallace and Steele. Mike Wallace right down to the inside lane coming through into turn number one and turn number two. Right behind him is Steele. Then it's 15 car lengths back to the third place. Forgot. That's Jeff McClure with Tim Fidewa right behind him. Losing that drafting help from behind. Perhaps the worst thing that could have happened for Tim Steele's chances to make a slingshot. He's hanging on to Mike Wallace's back bumper now to three. Tim Steele looks to the inside of the racetrack, but Wallace's car works well to the bottom. The Ford continues to track behind the Chevrolet as they race off turn four and back to start finish. Might be a big day for Mike Wallace as he comes out of turn number four, ready to take the white flag. He and Tim Steele will settle it among themselves, barring anything else as they work back into turn number one. Meanwhile, that third, fourth, and fifth place car have fallen a good second and a half behind, but that's going to be a, quite a shootout for third place. Trouble. Trouble here on the main straightaway. One car gets sideways, the Ken Allen car. He careens across the grass towards the entrance of the infield road course. He'll stomp on the brakes. The car spins back around. That car spins. L.W. Miller is the automobile as the car has a wheel coming off of it as it spins near the grass. Meanwhile, the battle for the lead and the win works the back straightaway. Wallace leads Tim Steele to turn three. Mike Wallace takes the Chevrolet right down to the inside of the racetrack. He'll block the Ford of Tim Steele as they race through turns three and four. Steele with no way to make the move. Inside, outside. It's Mike Wallace back to start finish. Here they come through the trial area while one other car is up against the retaining wall. Here at the stripe, the caution and the checker for Mike Wallace ahead of Tim Steele, Fidua, then McClure, Shelmer Dean and straight. Bob Hill is next in line. That's how the running order finishes, but there's a smoky mess out there in turn number one. Bill Venturini's car, Joe Moore, the one up against the outside retaining wall. He hit the wall and scrubbed along for about 50 yards or so there. A lot of flames came out from the front end of Venturini's car. It finally came to rest just at the entrance of turn number one. And luckily, some of the firemen were on the outside of the fence and squirted uh, through to put the flames out. Venturini now beginning to start climbing out of his car. Bill Venturini's car resting against the wall down in turn number one, but quite a run back to the finish. And Mike Wallace will be heading down to Victory Lane and will be heading down there also in just a minute. We are back at the Daytona International Speedway. What turned out to be quite a conclusion to the ARCA 200. Again, Mike Wallace is the winner. Tim Steele will finish second. Tim Fidua third. Jeff McClure fourth. And fifth, Kirk Shelmerdine. Let's go down to Victory Lane where Mike Wallace takes a well-deserved sip of a soft drink. It's been a long afternoon. It surely has been a long afternoon. Mike Wallace, known as the middle Wallace brother, but now you're in Victory Lane. Your feelings winning at Daytona. I'm telling you, you couldn't. nobody could be any happier than I am right now. Uh, I'm really sorry it was overshadowed by Neil's accident. We're, we're with him and his family, but gosh, it feels great. You know, it's been a hard, long time for us coming. Kenny Schrader's crew, the hall, Timmy running the crew chief, Kenny himself, Duran Payne's Arrow Orlando. I mean, it's wonderful. You just don't know how good it feels. We, you know, we've struggled. We come to Daytona and all day today we said we can win this race. We can win this race. And then we had problems early on, had to go all the way to the back, come back to the front. You know, it's a bad deal. A couple of them cars got taken out at the end, but we won the race, and that's all that matters to me. 
What happened uh, during the first incident that you sustained the damage on the rear of the car? I believe the 30 car it ended up crashing on the back straightaway, running the back of me down on it and getting into one. It broke the bumper or something, they said. It didn't change anything in the car. The car handled excellent all day long. It was just real quick on the bottom of the racetrack. It didn't run fast, that fast on the straightaway, but... The, the guys did an excellent job. You know, we've been here since Tuesday, and they've worked, worked, worked. Timmy's going, come on, let's just keep digging. We'll get it faster and faster. And we wanted to win, and we finally did, and I'm thrilled to death over it. Tell us about those last few laps. Uh, it's a big hug from the car owner, Kenny Schrader. Tell us about the last uh, few laps with Tim Steele behind you there. Well, Tim was behind me. He was coming, and I was definitely mirror driving him down the back straightaway. You know, our car. Kenny come on with 10 laps to go, and he says, hey, man, I ain't going to tell you how to drive the thing. He says, but 10 laps to go. The last lap, he says, make him go to the top. You're working so good at the bottom. And if he started to break low, I went low. He went to the top. I went to the top. And unfortunately, broke away from everybody except Tim and I. I give him credit. He ran a great race and everybody else. And, you know, I just can't be any happier and thank everybody. You know, Kenny Schrader and I put this deal together. And it's kind of, I guess this is kind of a little St. Louis connection for everybody back there in St. Louis, you know. So thank you, and I just really appreciate it. Mike Wallace wins the ARCA 200 here at Daytona. And a very well-deserved win for Mike Wallace. He's paid his dues in this business, and he's due to have some success. Let's take a look at the finishing order, then we'll head to the house. Winning the race, of course, Mike Wallace. Tim Steele will finish second. Tim Fidoa runs third. Jeff McClure is fourth. Kirk Shelmerdine is fifth. Six is Bob Strait. Bob Hill runs seventh. Bobby Bowser eighth. Glenn Brewer finishes ninth. Mark Stahl, tenth, despite the fact that Mark had some problems there toward the end of the race. At least runs in the top ten. Eleventh goes to Rick Shepard. Bob Williams is twelfth. Thirteenth to Craig Rubright. Bob Schacht will finish 14th, Dave Jensen 15th, John Stratman 16th, Gary Weinbrower 17th, Alan Pruitt is 18th, L.W. Miller finished 19th, Bill Venturini was 20th, Bob Breback finished 21st, Frank Kimmel finished 22nd, Joel White was 23rd, Peter Gibbons 24th, and Ken Allen finished 25th. Taking you further back, 26th will be Bob Dotter, 27th, Andy Stone coming home in 28th, John Wilkinson the 3rd, 29th goes to Jeff Purvis, and 30th today, David Boggs. 31st was Loy Allen, 32nd is Wayne Peterson, home in 33rd spot, Michael Dawkin, and 34th, Mark Thompson. 35th was Bobby Gerhardt, 36th, Laura Lane, 37th goes to Robert Ham in 38th today. They will post Jeff Finley. 39th position goes to car number 39, Dick Trickle, and in 40th spot, Bob Keselowski. 41st was Gary Bradbury. 42nd today, Ron Burchett, and 43rd, first out of the event, Billy Thomas of Phoenix City, Alabama. That's going to do it for us here this afternoon. We want to congratulate Jeff Gordon, the winner of the Bush Clash of 1994, and our congratulations to Mike Wallace, winner of the ARCA 200. Thanks to all the voices you heard on the air, Joel Moore, Alan Bestwick, and Fred Armstrong, our pit reporters Jim Phillips, Dick Brooks, and Winston Kelly. Patsy Herman was on the scoring loop this afternoon. Until we talk to you next with a busy, busy week of coverage from Daytona Beach for Barney Hall, I'm Eli Gold. Have a very pleasant good evening as we bid you so long from the World Center of Racing. Motor Racing Network Classics is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina. Remember to visit MRN.com for all the latest news and information. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network.